You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Man from Uncle. My name is Tom Chick, and for the Man from Uncle discussion, I have along Christian Molaski. Uh, I like to call myself a specialist in simplistic broadcasting. And with our Man from Uncle tagline, Kelly Wand. You don't have along anything. Wait, that's not it. Uh... After Fantastic Four, I'll take anything. Alright, uh... Whatever, with periods between each letter. Including one in front of the W, so nine. Tom, did you know the bad, the evil organization in the Man from Uncle Mythos is called Thresh? Thresh. Ah, you do! They were originally Wasp, but, uh... Actually, they are originally Thresh, it got changed to Wasp. It went back to Thresh, they dubbed it in the original. Yeah. Wasp? I didn't hear what you guys said. Did you say thrush? Thrush. Yeah. What you get? Isn't that like a, a condition you get in your mouth? Like where you? Yeah, you yeah. get it back in your throat. Yeah. It's the bird that tells you where smog's sleeping when it knocks on something. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, Kelly wanted to do with the Hobbit joke. Yeah. <laughs> Those are no longer topical, Kelly. Well, seeing as how I, I think I'm the only one on the podcast who's seen all three Hobbit movies. Have you seen Man from Uncle TV series? The only the one TV series of it. I actually know nothing about the TV series, but what I read in the Wikipedia page about the Thresh bit. Um, yeah, I had, I had no frame of reference. We'll we'll get into that in a minute. But first, Kelly Wand, do you have an IMDb synopsis that you can feed us, and then me and Dingus will try to guess the movie from the synopsis? Do I? Captain Ivan Danko of the Moscow Militia sets a trap for Victor Rostavili, a Georgian drug kingpin and crime lord. The ambush severely backfires. Victor flees the Soviet Union and comes to the USA after gunning down several other Moscow cops, including Danko's partner. Red Heat? Red Heat, yeah. Ah! You think Canary is feminine? And I've never seen it. I was just guessing from, okay, what was... I saw the theater. No, why would I... Who's in it even? Is it, is it a Schwarzenegger thing? Yeah, it's, it's Jim James Belushi. Belushi. Yeah. Oh my god, that's why I've never seen oh, it. Oh man, I love that movie. I love really? it. I, I, I like it too, and I forget I, why. I think his actual line is, you think parakeet is feminine? And then, <laughs> and then, you know, Jim Belushi's asking him about his family, and, and Schwarzenegger's telling him all the people that died. And he's like, that's pretty fucking grim. <laughs> I love Red Heat. Wow. Yeah, I should see. I remember liking it. Okay, this is the this is the last paragraph. You'll see why I chose. To... I can't believe you did Red Heat. That's so Red Heat. <laughs> I can't believe Tom didn't see it. Tom's weird. Tom's the weird one. Why would I see Red Heat? Because it's 1988. There's nothing else to do. I almost so used uh, the movie Red for one of my over-unders. It didn't end up happening, but uh, it's funny that you said Red Heat. I didn't even think about that. Kelly, I love you so much. I don't, okay, this is how the movie ends, apparently, Dingus, and I don't remember any of this, so tell me if you do. Danko and Ridzik pursue Victor and his henchmen around Chicago. Finally, Danko and Victor commandeer a couple of Greyhound buses, then engage in a high-speed chase, smashing up half of Chicago in the process, comma, with no sign of the cops. Yeah, I remember that. I totally remember that. 
sounds like gibberish to me. Okay, listen, so, guys. Listen. It probably has that Chicago, that famous Chicago bus stop that's in every freaking movie. Here's the Jaws of the Revenge ending. Until Victor is side-slammed by a train, he takes on Danko in a running Texas-style shootout. Danko uses a Smith & Wesson Model 29 44 Magnum given to him by Ridzik. Victor is gunned down. Danko returns to Moscow after exchanging wristwatches with Ridzik as an act of goodwill. Wait, which one, of them is, which one of them is uh, Jim Belushi is named Danko? No, no, no. Uh, Schwarzenegger's Danko. Ridzik is Ridzik? Yeah, that's the that's the American name. Okay, look, here's the deal. If you guys yeah. want to see a bus chase, yeah, high speed bus chase. Yeah, high speed bus. Oh, yeah, well, the low speed bus chase speed. would be boring, right? A high speed bus, bus chase. Speed. Hot Pursuit, starring Reese Witherspoon and Sofia Vergara. Here's the setup: They're on a bus. Bad guys are coming after them, so they throw the driver off the bus. The problem <laughs> is they're handcuffed together. So. Uh, I think to it's the bus driver? Sophia Vergara. No, Reese Witherspoon and Sophia Vergara handcuffed together. Uh, <laughs> we accidentally threw ourselves off. Whoa! Right. Okay. So Sophia Vergara sits in the bus chair to drive, um, and Reese Witherspoon has the gun, and she's supposed to shoot the gun out the bus window at the bad guys. But in order to get a good angle, she has to straddle Sophia Vergara's lap. Mm. See? Uh-huh. And then this that's yeah. how this, this action scene unfolds. Why don't they just shoot the chain for the uh, handcuffs? They don't mind being chained together, Dingus. Well, I don't Wouldn't mind touching that stop button. Well, actually, they, they can't because Reese Witherspoon, she's a by-the-book cop, and Sophie Vergara is a mob wife who she has to bring to testify against the mob guy. So she They'll can't let Sophie Vergara get loose. Oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Sophie Vergara is Italian in it? She, she's Latina, like she is in real life. I don't, I don't think Sophie Vergara is incapable of not having a strong Latina accent. Like she is in real life. <laughs> in real life, she's Latina? Is that what you said? Right. Meant? Yeah. Kelly, I'm I so just, happy that you brought up Red Heat. Red Heat. You made me so happy. I know, let's watch it together. Oh my god, I just gave us the opportunity to segue into discussion of Hot Pursuit, and you guys still want to talk about Red Heat. That's right. I do. Oh god, what a because, couple of jokers. Because I, I was, I, it's true, because I've often said you think Parakeet is feminine, and nobody ever knows what I'm talking about. I don't even so know what happy. the last word that you're saying is feminine? Feminine. feminine. Oh, feminine. He, He's talking you about his parakeet that he lost, and Jim Belushi's making fun of him, and this hugely macho dude is saying, do you think a, a parakeet is feminine? And, and he's about to punch him. I mean, I just love that. I love that moment. He headbutts people, too. <laughs> I remember just thinking it was underrated. Like, no one gave a shit about Red Heat except me and Dingus. But I, think it's, I think it's rated. I don't think it's underrated. It's not. Tom was baffled. Did I, mention, did I mention that in Hot Pursuit, Sophia Vergara and Reese Witherspoon actually have to make out to distract Jim Gaffigan because he has a gun on them? And so to distract him, they make out. Did I, I think they just throw in a hot pocket. Because here's a hot pocket, Jim Gaffigan. Go get it. Dingus is way low hanging fruit. Dingus, I'm disappointed in you. That's right. what happens when you watch Red Heat. Those are the kinds of jokes you make. Low hanging fruit's my nickname for Sophia Vergara. Whoa. Too soon. What? It's high hanging. I'm kidding. But wait, they should make handcuffs with three cuffs for buddy cop movies, so you can get the... Who's in the third set? Because buddy cop movie. Chris Tucker. <laughs> can I, Obviously. Can I, when you just ruined the mix there, I do not want Chris Tucker spoiling my Reese Witherspoon, Sofia Vergara buddy comedy. It's young Chris yeah. Tucker. And he's already got the handcuff on when you see him. Now it's becoming a sandwich. You know, the best use of Chris Tucker in a, in a cop movie is when... Uh, 
Uh, Unless Samuel Jackson shoots him early on in Jackie Brown to get him out of the way. Yeah, that's true. He spoke for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout uh, out, so, Dingus, so Kelly, one real quick. Uh, we are getting a little uh, uh, blowing from your fans, so if you could uh, deal with ah! that. Dingus, why don't you tell us briefly, without spoiling anything, what movie did we see this week? All right, this week we saw The Man from UNCLE, a 2015 American action adventure comedy spy movie. Mm. About getting a computer disc, about getting a computer disc that looks like a birth control pill container. It was directed by Guy Ritchie and written by him with Lionel Wigram, with story ideas from Jeff Kleeman, David C. Wilson, based on the television series by Sam Rolf. It stars Alicia Vikander, Army Hammer, Henry Cavill, and Hugh Grant. The Man from Uncle is rated PG-13 for uh, action violence and some language or something. I don't know. Did Hugh Grant see the same prostitute Eddie Murphy did? Foxy Cleopatra. What was her name? Can't we, yeah, I'm sorry, can't we leave well enough alone on that by now? <laughs> Hasn't he paid his dues? Anyways, yeah. it, it's action of violence, some suggestive content, and partial nudity. Do you remember the partial nudity? Please. Okay. Good. Uh, Look at that. Sophie Vergara. No, no. Henry Cavill with his shirt off. Mm. Uh, Actually, no, there's, not, there's not a lot of dude nudity in this, is there? Yeah, dude nudity. There's, 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 ah. there's none, if I recall. It's, it's just that that poor hotel girl. Hotel, who yeah, why do you say poor hotel girl, Dingus? She got to sleep with Henry Cavill. Why is it poor hotel girl? Because he was mainly sleeping with himself. Come on. She'd make money off it. Basically, he he is the Larry Day renegade male flight attendant of international spies, isn't he? Yeah, he is. That's absolutely true. You just made the movie awesome. How's that feel? (laughs) You did, actually. You made me like both movies more. Well done, Tom. Well, let's see what America thought. Uh, (laughs) Man Fuck Us is number three in its opening weekend, behind, way behind Straight Outta Compton, which cleaned up, uh, and even behind Rogue Nation. Oh no way! Straight out of Compton. Straight out of Compton did something like fifty-five million or something ridiculous. Uh, Rogue third weekend was uh, seventeen million, and uh, finally, Man from Uncle came in at thirteen million. Wait, should we see Man out of Compton? <laughs> oh man, I would love to see Straight Outta Compton. I don't know what the hell we. Let's go. Uh, man, Let's I would it. love that. I'm so happy that film did well. Yeah, Compton. Let's hear it. Uh, well, Dingus is a big NWA fan. He's constantly blasting NWA. Uh, in He's from the streets, Tommy. Can't help it. Speaking of the streets, if we look at the critical review to uh, Man from Uncle, Metacritic, which is the average of various reviews, <laughs> the streets. Man from Uncle, the streets of, uh, yeah, where, where movie critics like... roam, Kelly Wan. Right. They have their own streets. That's a good point. Uh, we're at 54 on Metacritic. Oh, that's the sidewalk. On Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews is a cool 67% positive. 67% of the reviews are positive. Wait, do you mean cool like nice or cool as in, ooh, 67? Uh, Kaiwan, I think, I think if I were to use that word, Guy Ritchie would understand what I mean. Which word? <laughs> cool. 67? Yeah. Oh. Cool. So, Kelly maybe you have for us a man from Unclopsis. Maybe a, a synopsis of the plot of Man from Uncle. Is that what you? Hey, when I went thinking? when I went to see Man from Man from Opsis, hmm? uh, 
they did all the previews and then they turned the lights down and then back up and then a dude came out and went, okay, we have two t-shirts to give away because Guy Ritchie is someone we all know and love. So first question, who was he married to for eight years? And then his wife. Right. And then someone knew his last movie. It was like some of the back and he goes, okay, now back to the movie. And then he leaves and then the, the projection, the projector was like stuck and like, oh, hang on. And then it was like 10 more minutes. Did all this happen in German? <laughs> um, why? So wait, why? They were giving away T-shirts. Yeah. Huh. Two t One T-shirt for a woman and one for a dude. I actually have to, to be reminded what his last movie was. What well, was the Sherlock Holmes Game of Shadows? Wasn't it? Has he done yeah. something since then? Oh, I thought the guy said like Slavsky's stinker or something like it was something super i had no idea what it was maybe he did some small thing after the sherlock holmes sequel but someone told me the last movie i didn't look it up was sherlock holmes game of shadows that was a million years ago i think you've got to be right tom i mean he's working on some king arthur thing but i don't know what it is but yeah i think you're right tom this took that long i think it's me and kelly wand are going to reenact a scene from sherlock holmes uh, game of shadows ready for this kelly wand get that out of my face Get, put what's in your hand out of the Marlene Madison Maddox. Kelly, I'm afraid we can no longer hire you as an actor. Absolutely not. You are now going to be exclusively hired as a synopsisist. That's acting. And we're going to start your job with a man from Uncle Synopsis. The man from Opsis. <laughs> Periods. Some words are all, in 1963, Russia was in Berlin. But like in L.A. and Texas later, nobody wanted to be on the east side, so somebody made a wall breachable only by Superman or sliding down a cable. I look over at East Hamburg and go, opposing factions always seem to cooperate okay whenever it comes to making walls. Superman farts and gets out of a car. He looks witty till night falls, then goes into a garage and asks somebody, hey, character, uh, is there a mechanic here named Tomboy? The dude takes him to someone with a car on top of them. He's all, the password is Alan Ludd. Uh, JK, real password's Sue doesn't seem to care. The figure slides into view. It's a woman. Holy shit. Superman's all, whoa. <laughs> I was expecting a Tom girl mechanic. You know, with a penis. My intel covered everything but your gender. She's all, your suit is source of humor for me, Superman. God. <laughs> I shall refer to it often in movie. Ugh. I may have to I think I'm going to pass out. That was too exhausting. He's all, you grease monkeys. Now, as you can see from these photonic, as you can see from these photographic props, I'm an art thief. That's why I'm so witty. You got to be pretty articulate to cut paintings with razor blades and drag a statue into a trunk. Anyway, your dad here was a Nazi rocket surgeon. Fortunately, he told us he hates Nazis, and he didn't enjoy it, so we like him. Whoever gave me this dossier thinks he's uh, in a Roman winery making a nuke for a British lady and her nondescript boyfriend. Ready? She's all, If it end this conversation sooner, I draw a map for you to exit garage! Why is Pretend this happening? I that. <laughs> that, she's sweet. The actress is Swedish. I guess. Yes, I, I understand that. Why is this happening? She's a she's a spy, so she has to know how to talk East German. Okay. 
I'll pretend I didn't hear that, although I also wasn't listening. Now, come on. I need you to get into a car chase with me, then accompany me to other parts of Europe and participate in other chases, eventually to an aircraft carrier. She's all, okay! They find a car without any Russians in it, but forget to check the one behind it. The girl's driving, so Superman can lay down in the back and yawn. <laughs> Good girl. She looks in the rear view and goes, Is that Lone Ranger and car behind us? Play actor named after baking soda? <laughs> Is he twins in this? Yeah, just question. <laughs> what that squeaking noise? <laughs> it's the silencer. I'm screwing on at my pistol here. Shouldn't that be silent? Look, who's driving this car? Me. Not bad. You just might live through this. Now, does Lone Ranger have one or more hands on the steering wheel? Hang on, let me recount. Okay, I don't care. <laughs> Think that she says a lot of lines in the movie. That's what happens with female characters. That's what happens. Yeah, I know. Uh, correct. Finally, is he looking at us? Yes, well, just you. Also, his window is down a bit. He can hear everything we're saying. <laughs> All right, well, when you hear something that sounds like me being awesome, floor it and make a draw right up ahead. I forget, bitch. Blah, blah. Ha, stupid Russians. Little thing called bulletproof glass there, Ivan. Look into it, or should I say through it? Because, uh, you know, it's a... Uh... You just missed him twice from point-blank range. What kind of spy are you? Look, we all have off days. You've been having one since you met me, for instance. Why don't you look in the mirror and explain that part? He got up. Now he's chasing us on foot. <sighs> Guess I should have set my bullet speed faster, stupid Russians. Now he... Ro <laughs> I'm sure I'd agree with Dingus. Now he roller skating behind us like Heather Graham and trying to remove trunk with bare hands like Richard Keel. Why don't either of you shoot each other? I thought you were both spies. Yeah, I probably should, but being professional just doesn't seem like the right thing to do. What the fuck's that mean, suit wearer? You just tried to shoot him five seconds ago from car. I don't know. Probably something witty. Now go down these stairs and drive till you get the car stuck. Okay. Ha <laughs> ha. What do we hear? A window for us to climb through. Guess you didn't notice that, Tom boy. It was off screen till this shot. <laughs> what? Your attitude. Don't make me say it twice. Now come on, follow me. Ah, what have we here? A cable to slide down. So long, Russian. Into the famous Berlin Canals with you. Get a job! Well done, Honsello. I'm Hugh Grant, the boss from Uncle. Now, while I man from urinate, look out, the Russians in your urinal. Stand back, Mr. Grant. I'll handle this. <coughs> Fuck, I lost. Well played, Russian. <coughs> Alright, I'll tell you anything you want to know. But first, let's kill Hugh Grant here together. Never working for this asshole. Uh, Solo, the Russian here is working for us. We were very impressed with how he failed to capture you and Tomboy last night. So here he is one day later wearing the same hat. <laughs> Might have been faster to simply tell you instead of having the two of you fight while I urinated, but I truly <laughs> had to urinate. You know the feeling. Uh, more of a shit man. Also, isn't this 1963? I thought we're on weird terms with the Russians because they moved to Cuba or something. Army hammers all. I have not had such charmless sidekicks since Dead Crow on head of Johnny Depp. Hey, you know who doesn't even need a sidekick? Superman. Oh, excuse me, I must sneeze. Ben Affleck. 
Why you? Why are you two? This team up should be blooming. Oh, and just in case auto mechanic knowledge becomes pertinent, you're also dragging along Tomboy. Good luck. The next day, every agent of the CIA comes, or uncle, what fucking ever, comes to a golf course to watch their two colleagues share a tense luncheon. <laughs> they all get bored. <laughs> Classic scene. Classic. So many customers. A tense luncheon by, uh, by Pinter. Better watch this. Sorry, I had to check the fan there. Uh, but they all get bored before the entrees arrive and take off simultaneously. Lone Rangers all, we have named for people who steal art in my country. Art thieves. Uh, that's two words there, Kimo Sobsky. In Russia, it is three words, actually. Oh, yeah? Well, according to this folder here, your dad was a prostitute and your mother was a Russian. The Lone Ranger knocks over a table and leaves. Remember that part? Superman takes the tomboy girl to J.C. Penny. He's all, I've decided I have zero sex rushes. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so people get out act me. Except in that one accent. I've decided I have zero centri... Oh, God damn it. this shit. Tomboy, I've decided I have zero sexual interest in you, so you get to pose as the Russian's fiancé. Now, you look like garbage, so let's buy you some real clothes. An architect's wife has to look like she just stepped out of a house catalog, or the Russians will be on to us. Lone Ranger walks on screen. He's all, Uh, you think I convincing-looking architect make? Hmm, I don't know. You're hard to cast except as twins. But just remember, architects can't fight, so if you guys get mugged, you have to give them everything, including these top-secret documents. Here you go. And also, hope they don't kill you. Why not just assign him cover story that lets him fight? Uh, are you seriously going to wear that Chanel garter with that feather boa before Labor Day? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Superman, please, look, if she accessorized Donna Karen nail polish with E.L. James handbag, it'd bring out fused highlights in her skin. She is definitely class 2 auto. The girl's all, man! It storms off. Stupid men. So onto us. That night after they get mugged, Lone Ranger and Tomboy are hanging out in a hotel room. He's failing to stalemate himself at chess while she wanders around looking bored. She's all <laughs> This stupidest spy mission ever. Nothing could make it worse. Superman opens the door and goes, Hey, it's me, Napoleon Solo. <laughs> My spy name's actually Larry sixty nine, by the way. Two R's. I tried to change it to double O, Larry69, but Helen in marketing says we can only do acronyms. Anyway, tomorrow, Tomboy, you'll be hanging out with a race car driver, while Victor Hugo here gets in another restroom fight, this time with some Italian bullies. Spice things up a little. Now, if you'll excuse me, here are some exposition dossiers. He throws folders at them and bails. Lone Rangers all. In Russia, we have saying about men like him. While he says stuff, she gets drunk and dances around till eventually nothing happens. The next day, there's a race we don't see, and more talking. That night, Superman goes to a place to steal stuff from a safe. He's about to cut a chain-link fence when he looks over a few feet. <laughs> he doesn't see him till then, Master Spy, and sees Lone Ranger about to do the same thing. He's all, what are you doing here? 
I thought I told you I like to cut fences alone. You know, in keeping with my name, Napoleon. Hey, where's this? <laughs> it didn't happen like that. Hey, where's the stiff? I tell her to stay in hotel room and do nothing while I go out. It's none of her business why. <laughs> Superman shakes his head tenderly. Sure, I'm glad we brought her along. She's been indispensable. Hey, check out my cool wire cutters. <laughs> the hand grips are made out of lasers, brah. What the? Yours are better. In Russia, we use lasers as scissors and to restore eyesight. He's the James Belushi of the group. Not having any of it. They find a safe with a door on it. That's that writing you guys like. Superman's all, ah, the 69SX. Haven't seen a vault this cool since Ant-Man. Now stand back, white Russian, and you just might learn something about opening. Just put my hand in here, blah, 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 a little CG, something witty, a little fart, and boom, door open, no alarm. Alarm has been ringing since you stopped talking. Ugh, well, it's a good thing we're here to steal from this as a boat. <laughs> Can't do it anymore. Superman's all, that it's a good thing what we're here to steal from this is a boat. Now grab an oar and hang on. A bunch of stuff on some water happens while Superman watches on his lunch break and eats KFC. Eventually, he some guards from drowning by parking his truck. That was weird. Then Ferris Bueller's across town while the villainous race. Superman tricks her by having sex with her. I lean over to Dean Martin and whisper, That's how I tricked myself. Lone Ranger gives Tomboy a wedding ring disguised as a microphone and goes, <laughs> That's so dumb. In Russia, priest marry you. He heads to some woods and puts headphones on while she goes to a table and tells her evil uncle, Hey, that Russian spy in woods. Also, that foppish American isn't acting. Meanwhile, in the villainess's living room, Superman takes a drink and then falls onto a sofa, puking and pumping monkey songs. He's all, ugh, I don't know what you spiked my LSD with. My tongue right now feels like it's in my mouth. She's all, you're drinking tap water. Farts and wakes up in an electric chair with a crazy old man cackling at him behind some controls from Princess Bride. The villain says, This man is Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He says he served in the war. Now he electrocutes people for British ladies who like to make warheads. Ta! She leaves. FDR flips a switch. Superman twitches and jerks and froths at the mouth as smoke comes out of his body. The torture is all, uh, I haven't turned the machine on yet. Turn the radio off here. The Lone Ranger appears in a window behind Superman and raises a finger to his lips, going, shh, to the torturer. <laughs> the torturer's up. Uh, I think your Russian friend's behind the wrong window. I look over at Diana Rigg and go, I'd make a good spy, because to me everything already feels like torture. They strap FDR into the chair, and he spontaneously combusts while they hang out in the window room. Eventually, they notice the flickering flames on each other's faces. They're not very observant. That's the window room. 
Yeah, the villain says a living room. They look at FDR's skeleton. Superman's all, damn, I forgot to leave my coat in there. Eventually, they find a plane in the air with Hugh Grant in it. Hugh Grant's all, by the way, Tomboy was a British agent. We had to betray both of you so she could get captured. She just... (laughs) Oh, fuck me. She just blew a cover, by the way, by pretending to spill radium all over her lab. So now it's time for the two of you to rescue her via car chase. Here's some dossiers. There's a car chase and then a knife fight that goes on until eventually the character who's not the star of the movie realizes they're dead, just like Uncle Ben in Spider-Man. Remember? It was suspenseful. Superman tricks the villainess into getting blown up by talking. After staring at the villainous-shaped mushroom cloud, Hugh Grant lowers a periscope and goes, Well done, Solo. That bitch won't be using nuclear weapons anytime soon, eh? Here's some medals. Lone Ranger's shoe phone rings. His boss is all, Don't forget to kill Superman, and hangs up. Superman goes into Hugh Grant's bedroom to pack a suitcase. Lone Ranger comes into Hugh Grant's adjoining second bedroom to pack his, and also to kill Superman. As he's drawing his news, Superman's all, Oh, by the way, think passes might be a knife! <laughs> <laughs> throws a wristwatch in his face Lone Ranger starts choking on it Superman licks the watch out and they both stare at it Superman's all somehow it got from the mugger to one of the villain's guards I wound it for you they kiss Some- <laughs> five seconds later <laughs> As Michael Caine watches from a few feet away, Lone Ranger and Tomboy sit across from each other at an Italian bistro and say nothing for ten minutes. Finally, Lone Ranger's all, "Eh, We never married for real, but perhaps we should still get divorced. Just as she's about to say nothing, Superman and Hugh Grant walk on screen. Hugh Grant's all, Good show! The TV series, I'm told. I mean, congratulations. This mission went so well, from now on you're all married and working together all the time. And also, we have a franchise name for you to plug. Uncle! I look over at Rebecca Ferguson's gown and go, saying it's synonymous with defeat, huh? The end. Very nice, Kelly Wand. <clears throat> oh, I liked it. That's good. Fantastic Four, I thought you hated Offsies ago. You just got to keep it down. All right. Anytime you get to do your Asian woman voice, even for a Swedish actress, I'm, I'm happy with an Opsis. Yeah. It's more about listening to Dingus hate it. Yeah, exactly. It's half the fun, isn't it? It's racist. Yeah. Um, right. Uncle Tom, we did it. Well, who's going first on this? <sighs> Didn't do very well, uh, of course, the movie, and, uh, and by any metric. Um, but what did we think of it? Uh, I liked... I liked what Henry Cavill was doing. I thought he was kind of doing channeling little Bruce Campbell from Army of Darkness. Oh, I thought he was okay. funny. Uh-huh. Um, they didn't give him much to play off of, and I liked the car part at the beginning, mm-hmm. and I liked the boat part where he's eating. It kind of reminded me of something from Night and Day a little bit. So yeah. I isolated like certain bits of it worked for you, you're saying? Those parts did, uh, but every after Mission Impossible, like this, uh, like a girl spy character who's not Rebecca Ferguson is. It's like a, she's a tough act to follow. That Ferguson girl, gotta say. And uh, overall, I thought it was mostly mediocre and undistinguished. Okay, Dingus, what do you think? Do you want me to go next? Uh, you can go ahead and go. Um, I, I'd be interested to hear more about why you liked Henry Cavill because I he was kind of a weak point for me. Like I kept hearing. 
in his delivery, his Superman. And I don't know if that's just how he – like when, when we saw Superman, I thought he was doing a Christopher Reeve impression, like an homage to Christopher Reeve. But apparently that's just how he talks American. I'm um, told he has trouble with American accent. So he is British, right? Did I make that up? He's British playing an American. Army Hammer is American playing a Russian. And the girl is Swedish playing a German. So when he has this this vocal affectation that he was doing in Superman, I thought was a Christopher Reeve homage. Apparently he talks that way. So I kept hearing that in Man from Uncle. Um, I saw it as an extension of just like his 60s spy voice, kind of. This was originally a Tom Cruise vehicle. I don't know if you guys know this, but Tom Cruise, the cast was assembled. It was going to be Tom Cruise, Army Hammer, Alicia Vikander. Uh, Tom Cruise dropped out to do Rogue Nation. Um, so uh, Henry Cavill had to stand in for Tom Cruise, and I kept wondering, uh, would this have worked better if we had Tom Cruise there? And I don't necessarily know that that's the case. Um, Why would he have done two spy franchise movies? That's what I'm saying. He or, dropped out of this to do uh, Ghost, uh, to do Rogue Nation. Right, but he's done four Mission Impossibles, so playing another spy and Jack Reacher, that just seems a little... And they're all franchise tent poles. That seems weird. To me. Apparently he didn't. Yeah. So maybe that's why he dropped out. Um, but this was all set to go as a Tom Cruise vehicle that fell apart at some point. So now we've got this. Um, but uh, I I kind of I, I did like it. Like, I, I feel it did enough to set itself apart, mainly in the relationship between the two of them. And for that reason, uh, it, it worked for me. Like, I sort of see this movie as a it's, it's of course a bromance i love how mm-hmm. neither of them is that taken with alicia vikander's character um <laughs> but i sort of see this as a buddy spy movie where the model is a fussy gay couple yeah and i loved that about it um i mean they're obviously not gay in the movie but that kind of seemed like if you look at rock and roller which is one of my favorite guy Ritchie movies uh there 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 are these very specific homosexual undertones in rock and roll like that's that's a part of the storyline uh it's very much about guy relationships um and there's that great bit with uh tom hardy being a gay guy who has a crush on gerard butler and he asks a favor of gerard butler before he goes into prison through most of the movie we think that it's to have sex with him um but we later find out he just wants to dance with him. Right. Um, and they do a slow dance together, and it's really sweet, but it, it's still a homosexual un- – it, it's not undertones. It's blatantly homosexual. Um, and, and it's just this is kind of sweet take on a – not a gay relationship because it's not I'm just a, a relationship between do, do, two dudes, one of whom is gay. Um, so I kind of liked that take on the typical bromance in uh, Man from Uncle. I think I liked it too, but they get separated, like all couples, for the second half of the movie, and that's where I thought I felt like it was kind of dragging. Like I did like them together, actually. Uh, so, Dingus, what, overall, what did you think? I, I really like your interpretation. If, if that's the case, then I wish they had gone full Mr. and Mrs. Smith instead of uh, pussyfooting around it, because uh, I didn't see any of that stuff. Um, I really didn't care for it at all. I I was totally distracted by what Henry Cavill was doing with his voice. I thought he was trying to do some weird, um, stilted. I don't know. Is it Robert Vaughn who was in the television show? I don't know what he yeah. was trying to do. Um, 
and I got no sense of him being a womanizer or there any attraction to any woman in the movie whatsoever because he's so interested. He's just in love with himself. I mean, he's having sex with uh, himself for the entire movie. When that hotel, I, I just I didn't see any of that. Army Hammer was fine, but he just doesn't register for a man until Tell- Kelly Wan kept going Lone Ranger, Lone Ranger, Lone Ranger. I didn't even know why he would have landed in this movie, and now I know why. Uh, he's he's okay. He handles a Russian accent okay, but. He he just I mean they just don't have the wattage. I don't I don't get it. I don't I don't get why this movie was made. Um, well, it was a Tom Cruise vehicle. I mean, this was again supposed to be like Army well, there was Hammer. A ton of guy. There was a ton of dudes who were supposed to play this. Right, part. right. Oh yeah, exactly. This, this, this for like literally over ten years. This has been going through various directors. It was absolutely a Soderbergh project at one point. So yeah, absolutely. But Tom Cruise doesn't bond well with other. Well, my actors. point, my point, and this this goes to what you're saying, Kelly Wand, is that I think they're setting up Army Hammer, and I kind of feel bad for the guy because he's fine. He's good. He's got a certain appeal yeah. to him. You know, he's no Paul Walker or anything, but he's got that kind of golden boy quality to him. Uh, I think they're trying to set him up as playing second fiddle to these big actors. Like, we'll yeah. hitch him to Johnny Depp in Lone Ranger. We'll hitch him yeah. to Tom Cruise in Men from Uncle. And then Tom Cruise drops out, and suddenly he's sitting next to this stuffed shirt Henry Cavill. Um, and he's a straight man. Well, he's Henry kind Cavill's- of a... He's kind of a little bit of a vacuum, I'm afraid. And if there's nothing to suck into the vacuum, what are you going to have? A vacuum. I mean, there's just not much there. I mean, I have no objection to him in Social Network. Uh, I didn't see the 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 Sherlock Holmes movie, so I mean, not the Sherlock Holmes, the uh, Lone Ranger movie. So I don't know what to say, but I I just don't think there's anything there for either one of them. You have to have somebody there to anchor it. And sadly, as much as I love Alicia Vikander in Ex Machina, I don't. She doesn't do anything for me here either. I don't. Which, which to me again just goes to it being like a, about a gay couple. She is so yeah. like not on either of their radars. Yeah. Uh, and I and the movie plays with that. Like I love the scene yeah. where uh, Army Hammer is just not interested in dancing with her, messing around with her until she throws herself at him, uh, and then he seems oh she falls asleep and he, he's almost like is he relieved? Like what? there's this sense really. That neither of them is interested in the woman in the, in the movie, and I I liked that. It was okay. I, it's like he's Russian and Henry Cavill's like Dingus said, just a narcissist. But like that's the thing that I kind of like too is like they're both really big hunky kind of dudes. So the fact that that's what the movie's about, like them both being totally uninterested. In this movie. Well, the they're both is- negative charisma as far as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, I mean, I I remember I remember defending him in Immortals, and I remember defending him in Man of Steel, but. Henry Cavill here is just I, – I, I don't understand what the what, – why are we attracted to him? I would disagree with negative charisma, Dingus. I would definitely say low, low wattage. I would definitely go with you. But, I mean, they're both like they're, – they're good-looking dudes. They can handle the sort of the, the, the lightness of – like it's not really a comedy. It's not like uh, yeah. Ant-Man, for instance, where that's a straight-up comedy take. Um, okay. This is comedic, but it's not a comedy. But they can both handle the lightness um, – yeah, yeah, fair, fair enough. Like, like native charisma makes me think of someone like Jennifer Aniston in a romantic comedy, you know, where she's just like sucking the air out of the screen. I mean, I don't think either of these guys, at least for me personally, was quite that bad. All right, um, you know, negative charisma is the wrong way to put it. I think that Henry Cavill is trying too hard, right? And maybe that's that's mm. different from what I'm talking about because well, it, because he, I think he's going for 
and I and I don't really remember the Napoleon solo character. I remember watching the show with my dad as a kid, but I don't re- really remember the character. But I think he's going for this womanizing sort of James Bond esque kind of character. Well, they kind of he at, just has to try too hard. Well, at the end of the movie, when they're showing they're showing their dossiers, they kind of have to remind us. By the way, he's a serial womanizer. Yeah, they uh, they show that word womanizer, right. and I was and, like, uh. Yeah, I was sort of like, oh, I I was like, oh, that's what you're going for in the movie, and we had to be reminded at the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Uh, even when the hotel girl is leaving the room, and she's like, I know what your five minutes means, and I'm like, I don't. What does that mean? He's he's been playing his game. What's he been doing for five minutes? It it really is. It's that scene that opens Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant. Right, right, right. Which actually showed a little. So, Dingus, where you're saying, like, negative charisma, here's the way I would characterize what I I think you're seeing, and and I kind of understand – but the way I would characterize it is the overall tone of the movie, um, I think, is trying to be – and this gets – and I don't mean this in a negative way. This gets towards this idea of like a gay relationship. The overall tone of the movie is trying to be really fey in the sense of, of over-refined and exaggerated and, and kind of effeminate. Um, Are you talking about its British sensibility? Well, I'm talking about it. It being uh, – yeah, yeah, like it's British sensibility. It, it's lack of, of interest in, in male-female sexuality. Um, just just this idea that they're so refined that they they know how to dress up Alicia Vikander like a Barbie doll. Um, uh, all right. Just, and they're both very, talking about fashion in one of them. Right, right. Just very, uh, pre- very precise and over-refined in a, in a sort of exaggerated way. Like Faye doesn't necessarily have to mean effeminate, like prissy or anything like that. But, but this fey tone that I think it's going for, and yeah, part of it is definitely being British, um, this fey tone kind of veers too close to being actually more listless, I think. Uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it. So overall, this tone that I think Guy Ritchie is going for, um, and I think it's very intentional because you know yeah. Guy Ritchie can get very coarse and very vulgar in the sense of like East London or whatever. Right. Um, like he knows how to make a tone, uh, give a movie a tone. Um I think this tone ultimately ends up being closer to listless than, than anything else. I mean, uh, it, right. it is kind of stylish at times, but even then, like, it just action like split screen and like going on in the background. Like, those are kind of bold choices. Like, I think instead of stylish, I would call it groomed. I mean, I think it's sure, sure, preening almost. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and instead but, of a instead of a racetrack, they should have had horses. I don't know. It just feels. When you say it that way, Tom, and just the word "groomed" comes to mind, like they they've groomed themselves, and and that's what they're interested in—the look, not the feel. And and I have to say though that was to me interesting, but it raises the question, and and because it was different, I kind of liked that about it. But here's the question that it raises, and I don't think it has an answer for. And the box office and the reviews prove this: Who is this movie for? Yeah. Yeah. Like, with these leads, with this subject matter, this long-dead TV show that I don't think anybody remembers, um, with this weird sort of listless, fey, grooming, you know, this tone that we're talking about, um, with the Cold War setting, who is this for? And I don't don't think it's for anyone. Like, you look at something like Jurassic World, which I thought was – we variously were critical of, um, but Jurassic World is clearly for – the American public who wants to see dinosaurs attacking people like that is a clearly targeted. There's an answer for that. We know who that's for. I have Everybody. no idea who this movie is for. Yeah, I don't either. I, and the thing is, I do remember seeing somewhat of the television show. And and like Kelly, I enjoyed that first sequence of those old cars drifting and her driving the car. I, I liked the way that looked and the way that felt. And there was maybe one other like 
cool moment that I liked in the show. But other than that, I, I don't. I, I'm with you, Tom. I don't know who this is for. Why did they re- resurrect this thing? Yeah. I mean, again, what, is I, it, what is it supposed to call to mind? I don't. Know. I mean, and I, I think that points to the fact that it was in in development for so long under, under so many various different people, uh, and it finally almost you know just happened. You know, something that's in development that long either dies away or hey, it happened. Uh, and I think but that's that what makes it kind of interesting. Like with Tom Cruise, I think it would have sucked actually. Him and you know, well, I, you know, I have to disagree. You know, okay. I think that he would have actually brought a spark to it. And I think, surprisingly enough, and I didn't even think about this when I was doing my over under. Kelly, you bringing up Night and Day makes me think about what the kind of spark Tom Cruise can bring to this kind of movie. See, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I don't know what to say. Like, I that, yeah. that, that that weird gay couple sort of vibe. I don't know if that would have existed so much with right. I don't know. Maybe it would have. Um, well, I don't know that I'm, ideas. I don't know that I'm like, on board with the with the gay couple vibe. I mean, it's not like it's not oh, like romance like I feel with the Eagle or something. But no, it would have been a different kind of movie. No, because there's stuff like all these lines too. Like, so here's another thing. Like, I, I think they're playing with this with all the lines and this idea of like gadget envy. Um, they have lines with each other like, "We'll both forget about it in the morning. You take top, I'll take bottom." Uh, all right. right. There's uh, certainly that that fashion dressing scene. Um, I mean, I'm not saying it's all subtext, like, and it's not the eagle is a good example, Dingus, but the eagle has this much more, you know, worn on its sleeve Roman man love kind of vibe to it. Right, right, right. Uh, This is much more subtle and more of an undertone. And I'm not, again, I'm not implying they're gay. I'm just implying that's kind of the context in which I enjoyed this relationship. Is what if bromance, instead of being, you know, dudes who watch sports together, what if the model for the bromance is a gay couple? Um, well, I, you know, I actually kind of like that, and that's why I said that's I, why I referenced Mr. and Mrs. Smith early on, because if I had had that more more of that feeling or if I had detected it, I think I might have enjoyed it more. Well, and even because it seems like they're trying so hard to be womanizing. And even when he's yeah. reaching up to, to, to adjust her garter, I never feel anything going on between them. Well, here is where. And again, I don't know if this is my interpretation. I doubt it was like an intentional thing where somebody wrote it and said, hey, let's push this angle. But you could almost look at Army Hammer like his his character's motivation is shame. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. And there is in, in, in uh, you know, among some gay men, that's something that they struggle with, like this shame about. Their, their, their past, who they are, their identity. Well, especially uh, considering that he's Russian. I mean, yeah. I mean well, that's very you know, much – Right. Yeah, and, and his, his, his father and his – you know, and, and Henry Cavill even plays on that. Uh, but it seems like that's what drives him is this shame he feels about his identity. Right. Um, and, and that is sometimes – you know, that is sometimes something that gay men experience. Uh, and it could be a fuel for his anger. I mean because one of the interesting sure. things is that that character flaw that he has is this – ultimate anger that yeah. he can't control and, and that certainly plays into what you're talking about so I, I guess i can kind of go down that road and again this is just me sort of watching a movie that i'm not really into but trying to this is me sort of picking out something that was interesting and unique in the movie that i hadn't seen in other things and enjoying that kind of take on it. it's definitely a weird choice yeah uh, and both the and both those actors were really into that choice too well, like you, they went all right well they're both so incredibly i mean and this is something I, I don't know if I talked about this on this podcast before, but I've talked before about sometimes you cast someone in a role who's just way too pretty. And these guys are both just like really pretty. Right. Um, Henry Cavill, too. It was also hilarious to me. They're trying to create this idea that Army Hammer is a giant. 
when pretty much all he has on Kim- Henry Cavill is maybe a couple of inches. But Henry Cavill, that guy is so – like he's got this incredibly deep chest and broad soldiers. That guy's like huge. It's hard to make someone look like a giant next to Henry Cavill. Um, yeah, who's but, catching? But the scene where uh, – uh, <laughs> Kelly what? Uh, the, the scene where Army Hammer and Alicia Vikander are rolling around on the floor, it is adorable how tiny she is in his hands, by the way. Yeah. But you don't see any of that when he's standing next to that slab of a man that is Henry Cavill. That's why they're into each other because they're both right. big and right, she's right, like exactly. a little tiny dwarf. Get yeah. out of here. It, it is kind of like that. Like why be interested in a woman when you have these sort of – She's a pussy. – male specimens. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, can I can I just ask, now that we've talked about her a little bit, why doesn't she register for me at all in this? And I loved her so much. It's a shitty role. Kinda, she does not register at all here. She doesn't get to do anything. Well, you know, you say that, Kelly Wan. Well, you know what? Play with she this gets to do that cool driving stuff. They start off with her cool yeah, stuff, but she just doesn't register. Even when she's trying on those outfits, and I guess we're supposed to think she's sexy in them. Uh, I mean, it's... It's what Tom said. Like they're, it's she's the foil to them. Like she's uh-huh. their backup singer. Well, and, and so here's the thing. They're also like, you know, she's in, uh, she's in this. She's in Next Machina. Uh, she's in a bazillion things, by the way. But uh, she's also in a movie that I've told you guys to see uh, called Seventh Son. Um, oh, she is. Yeah, yeah. She's the, she in Seventh Son. She and Ben Barnes are the sort of the young ingenue and, and lead actor. Uh, I, but I, I don't that. think she has. Um, Thing is, use this word, which I think I we should always use. I love this word, but I just don't think she has much wattage. She's definitely no Rebecca Ferguson. Um, uh, right. She's just she's a pretty Swedish uh, like dancer turned actress, um, but that's not that's not star quality, and I just don't think she has much of it. She's fine. She was, but she was convincing. Is, it works yeah. as a robot. Like you, you right. pass someone like that oh. as a robot, uh, yeah. and there's this sort of super coolness to it, this kind of removed quality to her in Ex Machina. Um, she's like Arnold. It's exactly like you cast a, an awkward Austrian bodybuilder as a killer robot. Yeah, and suddenly, hey, this guy, it works. He's from the future. That's why he can't talk normal. But so I'm with you, Dingus. Like I, I don't, I just don't think she's got a lot of the. You know, you used the word well, footage before. I love. It. I just don't think she's got a lot of it. Yeah. She's unconvincing right. as a spy, and especially right after we saw Re- Rebecca Ferguson, like just plow through. Well, the funny thing is that all the movies I've seen her in, which is Seventh Son, Ex Machina, and and now Man. Supposed to be badass. Well, no, in all three of those movies, they play with this idea of is she a good guy or is she a bad guy? Oh, and Uh, she's just not that mysterious looking to me. Yeah, you do that with a robot, that's fine. But I don't. She just doesn't have that kind of. Yeah, there's no suspense. You're like, I don't really care what she is. Yeah. Um, How did you guys feel about the uh, the torture scene, (laughs) the little black humor with a guy? Pops up in flames. I liked it. I thought it was funny. I always, I always like it when people burn. It's funny to me. Um, I don't know. I was kind of that whole torture autobiography sequence. Um, kind of along with that and the opening credit sequence, just made me think of Inglorious Bastards and how much better uh, Inglorious Bastards did that kind of thing. Mm. Um, uh, so. I, and and when, while I was sitting there watching that torturing sequence, I remembered uh, talking to you guys, um, I, and I can't remember what movie it was. It might have been during a three-by-three. Three, but I said some really stupid uh, phrase, which is, I, I've kind of lost the taste for torture. 
on, on, on screen. And Tom's like, you've lost the taste for torture. Really? You had the taste for that before <laughs> Tom kind of called me out for it. Um, and I think I was talking about that, that moment where, uh, in Casino Royale, where James Bond is getting ah. the, uh, uh, getting smacked in the nuts through the chair and, and how, I just can't take any joy in watching any torture sequence at all. That was kind of during the Bush administration. Um, there is extra baggage with it, though. I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not wrong. It's like it's like a school shooting. You know, there's baggage yeah. with these things that's happened in the last twenty years, and it, you can't really get around it. Yeah. Uh, so him sitting in the chair and them making jokes about him being electrocuted. I, I, I don't know. I just don't. I'm not. I'm not online with that anymore most of the time. Every now and then a movie can get away with it if it really balances it properly, but I don't think this movie does, and I don't think it earns it. Well, or at least for me, if it, it understands how dark it is. And that, right. that torture sequence to me just felt out of place. Kelly Wan, I'm mm-hmm. with you in that I liked it. I liked that kind of humor, but I didn't understand why it was at that point in this movie. It's about it's them being it's them having one of their gay quarrels that's going on in the background. And it's like a romantic fire. But does that ever happen, though, at the expense or the the pain inflicted on someone else, though? Uh, even well, that's if a Nazi, supposed so it's deserved. Okay. Yeah, right. Oh, but what man. does that have to do with the movie, where he does his whole autobiography, he goes through his whole scrapbook, he tells his whole story, it's and like then they... There's a serial killer villain. Like, well, right. where does it... Uh, or, well, or, the movie again, does that with everything. A sequence movie. from something like Inglorious Bastards, where you're going to have this, we're going to have an interlude. And, and a I tone shift. Movie... Like it, it's, a, it's a tone shift, is what it is. And, and I can't think of any other tone shifts like that in Man from U.N.C.L.E. And if you're yeah, going, the, no, the car not is torture, but also do Nazi torture. I mean, you're going to really have to earn that kind of thing, and you don't. I don't think well, it's, it's still a spy. It. No, I totally disagree. It's a spy movie set in 1963. It's like World War II is still recent. Like I think it. Um, yeah, but so it's not where we are right now, and well, I don't. You have earned that kind of thing. As narratively, you're, well, narratively, Kelly is right in that it belongs in this kind of movie. But again, with this movie's tone. It's a tone shift, and it it, it it stands out. It's kind of weird that we're going to have this serial killer torturer, ex-Nazi, suddenly like having one of the the heroes under his in his clutches. Um, no, it is uh, weird. But that's why I like a bunch of okay, yeah. things that he's done to people. Yeah, I mean he's he's showing this, these awful things that he's done to people in his scrapbook. See, I'm in the weird position. I agree with both of you. I'm right. this and that, yeah, it's weird. It's out of place. Why did they do this? But I'm with Kelly and that I like that kind of weird stuff. It is weird. Um, and the scrapbook whole thing makes you not give a shit when he burns. So it's like you need both for that whole joke. It's kind of hard, though. Even if you have, like, like, if you just take, if you if you have a character throughout a movie, and, and they do early on show that he's a racist, like he has some inappropriate comment to Army Hammer. Who, like, Cavill? Well, he's a clown. No, no, no. The, uh, the uncle. Yeah, the uncle. The uncle is the torture. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. So you have this idea early on that, hey, he's a jerk. Um, but right. then they have to quickly, with that scrapbook, you know, in, in like three minutes, justify the fact that they're going to burn him alive in a moment. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, we're going to, we have this terrible fate. We have to make you hate this guy even more, even though we laid the foundation with him saying inappropriate things. Uh, and that, that's uh, a little weird and right. It's all for Henry Cavill to make the joke about his coat. It kind of is. Yeah. And, I don't feel like, yeah, I just, the movie just, well, here's the thing, like. No, it's fine. <laughs> well, here, here's my problem, is that yeah. I, I have such a soft spot for rock and roll. I love rock and yeah, roll. I'm with and, you know, I, I gotta tell you, Tom, I think watching movies, and I'll let you go on, but I think that might be the only Guy Ritchie movie I really, really like. I bet if you went back and watched, like, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, you'd appreciate that. Snatch has oh, I did. energy to it. Oh, really? Yeah. 
and they, they didn't hold up for because I haven't seen those in forever. I watched Rock and Roll a couple months ago and still love that, but those didn't. Well, well so real quick, what I wanted to say, Rock and Roll uh, has those really dark moments with torture. You know, when the Chechnyans, and again, here's this weird, not homoerotic, like homo sadistic undertone. When the Chechnyans capture uh, Gerard Butler, they strip him naked and tie him down, and the implication is they're going to like rape him and cut him up. Um, and there's that weird muscle bound. Chechenian guy, um, so it has this like weird torture tone shift thing, and and Guy Ritchie pulls that off just fine in Rock and Roll. Uh, and the same with uh, is it Tom Wilkinson, like when they're going to torture people in the you know in the water stuff. Like there's really dark turns in Rock and Roll, right. um, along with really lighthearted banter. Um, and Rock and Roll earns these dramatic tone shifts, and it is very much you know you brought up in Glorious Bastards, Dingus. Tarantino does that as well. Um, and I just feel like this movie didn't really need that. Like this, right, right. It just felt out of okay. I have a rebuttal to this. Yes, which go is, ahead. I always feel it always annoys me when you like. I get it that like okay, there was torture in RL, so when you see it in a movie, you get uncomfortable. But it always annoys me at the same time because it's like it's not the movie's fault that that happened in real life, and then it's like it's dating. Like if you see this movie in a hundred years, like that torture scene might play great. So it's like you're letting real life in, intrude on your So, Kelly, you're, you're actually pretending that a person's context can't affect how they experience a movie. Seriously? No, no, I'm saying – no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying for me personally, subjectively, I always kind of defy that. Like I'm going to refuse to let whatever's going on in real life like affect it. Like if it's a good joke, then I'm going to – I'm going to like like it on its own merits. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I, I just feel like uh, an important part of any experience, you know, you know, when you're experiencing entertainment, uh, your own baggage you bring with you, and it's going to sure. color that. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, no, no, I'm not saying that either. But it's like there's always something like that going on in the news, and so it's like you're, you, it's just like a funnel effect where suddenly you can't do any jokes anymore, or, mm. or you can't have those. Well, I'm not saying you can't like, do them, and I'm not saying. Uh, you, you I'm saying we, that, saw, uh, we saw The Watch a long time ago, and right. there's a weird issue where Trayvon Martin had just been shot by a Neighborhood Watch. Is it Eric Zimmerman? That guy shot Trayvon Martin. So uh, Neighborhood Watches suddenly became this like weird thing right, right, right. in national news, and The Watch came out about a, 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 a Neighborhood Watch group that fights an alien menace, whatever. It was stupid. Um but like that was something that, that they had to acknowledge as far as like releasing the movie. I think they even delayed it. And if I'm not mistaken, there was even a scene in that movie where a nerdy kid character throws up his mattress and reveals this arsenal of guns that he's got in the media. Yeah. It's just weirdly <laughs> uncomfortable yeah. in that context. And But even then I, I would I don't go... necessarily applaud being like bold or weird or, or having a disturbing scene. Uh, and sometimes that's just going to happen by accident. And, and sure, I but if it's funny, it. right? If you liked the movie, if you thought it was a funny movie, I think you would have gone. You know, the timing's weird, and also that's kind of a tough one to walk back. Like that really did just happen, and it's called the Watch. Well, as in in Man from Uncle, you know, torture's always going to be with us, and it's like a spy thriller in 1963. Like you kind of have to. I think you have to go out of your way to make those connections a little more. Well, and to be fair, you know, this is where I agree with you is I liked that scene, but I just didn't feel like it was appropriate in a movie with this tone. And, you know, I'm I'm totally fine with that uncomfortable torture scene with Mads Mikkelsen and, and uh, 
in that in Casino Royale, uh, even you know because that fits. You know, it's okay for that movie to get that dark. Uh, I just didn't understand why they did that in this movie. Whereas when Guy Ritchie is doing it in Rock and Roll, that totally works. That fits. Uh, for for me, it's an issue of world building, and I don't think that they built a world that I believed that, ah, that was going to go on in. That's a fair and, point. Right? And in Rock and Roll, yeah. I totally believe that. Rock and Roll is a movie I am so in love with, and it was supposed to be the start of this trilogy. Things get your I, own Guy Ritchie favorite. You can't steal mine. Uh, well, I just, I just uh, I actually bumped into you, and I took it out of your coat pocket. Ah, uh, <laughs> light fingers. Um, but but it's, it's just world building for me. I believe it in Rock yeah. and Roll. Um, and, it's, you know, I like you know, I watched Lockstock, and I, I don't know. Lockstock and Snatch just don't. They, I guess, they're just a little tedious for me. I don't know why that is. Um, I, I've tried to watch them a couple of times. I understand that they're really praised by everybody, but uh, you know, I like Lockstock. It's not that I don't like it, um, but Rock and Roll is really a special movie, and I think he understands how to build his world, character, actor, writing. Everything is really works well in rock and roll, and I don't think he bothers to do world building here. Well, there's torture in Rogue Nation too, and I think torture is always a fair play in a in a spy movie. Like that could happen because there's well, spies. It, the thing is, if if there's something that sticks out that's going to be cut off by the blade, that's the it problem. If, if it if it doesn't stick out, then I'm going to believe it as part of the world, and I didn't believe it here. It just seemed to be. I don't know. I know you guys thought it was funny and it worked for you, but it, it was yeah, but it didn't work for me. Don't, don't accuse, don't paint me with the Kelly Wan brush, I guess. It didn't I work thought it was out of place. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Fair enough. I thought it was out of place and therefore uh, awesome. I, I just want to say, you know, <laughs> to, to Kelly Wan's point that he was saying that everything can be funny, I agree. I'm not being politically correct. I just don't think No, I know. I'm saying, and I'm not saying t- what Tom said is true. Like, you always bring your baggage to it. I'm saying I am a weirdo. I think I just defy death. Like, I resent it. And so jokes about death, if I consider them funny in movies, I'm always going to like. <laughs> Carrie, you are the blackest of the black humor advocates on this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a question for yes. you guys. Yes. Um, who was supposed to be getting the bomb? Like, was there these secret Nazis <laughs> or something? Who were they giving it to? Just I just they were giving it to Adolf Hitler. Were they really Nazis? Like, no. is the idea is there's secret Nazis out there? That's one thing I was – at one point halfway through the movie, I'm like, okay, wait, who's getting the bomb? And as I was trying to pay attention to that, I couldn't quite parse who were the people on the submarine they were giving the bomb to. The Germans. Oh. And, and uh, Indiana Jones was lashed to the periscope. No. So Dingus doesn't know either. Kelly Wan, do you know who was, who was getting the bomb? The British lady? And... No, the Germans. That's who they're giving it to. They're giving the bomb to oh. Hitler. That's what's going on. The Italian this, is, this, is, this is post-World War II. There's no more Hitler. Yeah, it's 63. There's no Germany. Germany doesn't exist anymore, dingus. That's why I'm quotes. I was wondering, what. so so it was secret Nazis. Like, Are they implying there's still Nazis around after World War II and that they're trying to get a nuclear bomb? Yeah. Because that's there's what I thought. Nazis. It seemed to me, they kind of like, I, I was like, wait a minute. Like, I kind of felt like that's an important fact they got glossed over. Like, wait, this is a world with secret yeah. Nazis? Like, we didn't we beat them in World War II? And that's the whole point of Berlin being divided, is they don't even have their city anymore. It got cut in half by the East and the West. So there's still Nazis in this movie. And the Russians can be our allies if I guess the that's Nazis the point. get a bomb. Right, that's the point, is that there's such a dire <laughs> the enemy War. that we are uniting East and West. In 63. Okay. Well, we still have Nazis now. 
That's what I'm saying. Indiana, Indiana neo, Nazi. Or neo, Illinois Nazi. No, neo-Nazi's thing is that neo is kind of important. No, neo. No. See, poor Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible movies, he doesn't have a Cold War, so he has to, like, they have to come up with mi- impossible missions to do. Well, I actually did. I didn't know, because I know so little about the uh, the original TV show, I didn't realize, first of all, that was Army Hammer at first. Like, that was totally a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I forgot. This idea about, oh, there's going to be a Russian and an American working together. Oh, cool, you know. But and and then from that it goes into this you know and and maybe I'm pushing this too hard but this idea of like a gay relationship is the analog right. for their bromance and and that was a pleasant discovery for me um, so overall that's why all of this worked for me that's why I enjoyed it um, but again all of this is like who is this movie for nobody's going to want to see this uh, it's for gay people well, even- I even love that that scene in the bathroom where they're wrestling and uh, the guy says something in Russian that's not translated for us. And uh, and Napoleon's whole says, I don't know what that means. And right. Handler goes, you know, he's saying not to kill your partner. He says, I, I understood that, but I don't know what that means. Right. It's like, I understood the words, but I don't know what it means. Yeah. So that was perfect. Your first yeah. day. Yeah. Uh, we went with someone who speaks Russian who, like, laughed at the line before it was translated <laughs> for us. I was like, wait a minute. She's got an unfair advantage. She, uh... And she actually whispered, spoiler alert, and didn't tell me what they said. <laughs> uh, okay. How did uh, we feel about – so Dingus uh, – as a director, how did you guys feel about what uh, Guy Ritchie did with the action sequences? So I think we agree that first bit with the car and the, you know, him lying down in the back and that chase, that was kind of exciting. What did you guys feel about the later action sequences? Like the stuff in the when they're trying to get into the safe and whatnot? Uh, yeah, yeah, like all that stuff. Because there were several things that would be like action set pieces, you know, when they break in and uh, when they're storming the, the secret harbor um, Split screen. The, the the dune buggy motorcycle jeep chase. Oh um, jeez, I yeah, didn't like remember that. that. One. All I kept thinking about was the Furious movie where they're driving across terrain and dune buggies. I really kind of like a lot of that, to be honest. I, I I really liked the harbor stuff where he's sitting in there and uh, you know drinking some wine and yeah. trying the sandwich that he maybe doesn't like that much, and then he finally decides, all right. Um, I kind of liked that whole. I liked the humor of it of the of the boat like going around in the background while he's in the in the car. Um, I was okay with the the car chase, you know, especially the drive across the water kind of stuff. That was fine. I kind of feel like Guy Ritchie knows enough. Like like a lesser director would just yeah. draw that out and show us more footage, and you'd get bored yeah. of it by the time it was over. Like Guy Ritchie knows enough to just throw in little bits and pieces and then move past it. Like right, that whole yeah. storming the harbor where he cuts the screen up like the comic book panels. Um, yeah. Like it's kind of boring. I've seen I've seen so much – might as well be second yeah. unit footage of stuntmen shooting each other. What are you going to do with that? So Guy Ritchie's just like – you know, he clips it together in those little panels and then we're done with it after about you know 45 seconds or whatever. Right. Uh, I felt like that was a smart decision. But then he drags out a car chase in a knife fight very conventionally. Well, you say drags out. Like, that was pretty quick, too. And, you know, it looked like a car commercial, really. Like, Yeah, I don't like that. And I don't like the knife fight where you don't know who's stabbed or shot for ten minutes because the camera's too close up. Eh, you pretty much know. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. But then, the, yeah, you do know. And then, But then they take forever to fall. And it's like, well, I know who's dead. You know it's because it was in slow about. motion. Yeah. Only Sergio Leone can do that. Else moratorium on slow motion unless you're yeah. Italian. You can have any torture joke, but no slow motion unless you're uh, Kelly Wand, like uh, a couple of other movies, you referenced two of them in last week's synopsis. Uh, the finale, it's not at a railing, but they are on a balcony. 
yeah. and they are given their name, just like the end of Fantastic Four. Yeah, is that something from Save the Cat or something, where every movie has to end with a railing now? I, I guess and so. mention the name of the movie yeah. and have the characters all smile like, yep, this is our moment. Like, you never do that in real life. You never, like, look out over a railing and go, fuck yeah, totally nailed it. Well, maybe back then they did. Railings? Oh, 63. Or you mean when Fantastic Four takes place in 2015. <laughs> uh, what reminding me. Uh, let's, just, rail. let's do some yes. over-unders. Uh, Dingus, you... Uh, what, what, you, well, actually, you didn't mention. So what are your over-unders for uh, Man from UNCLE? Right, my over would be the movie This Means War, um, which I believe oh, was directed by Vince over? G. Man, he didn't like this. Yeah. I, really, I actually really liked This Means War. Um, I, I, I liked a lot of it, yeah. So, I don't really like it yet. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, well, I liked it enough to like it more than this. So I would put This Means War over it. And under it, I would put a movie I saw as a kid with my dad that I can't really remember a lot about, but it was a funny spy movie called Condor Man. Condor Man? Uh, yeah, Condor what? Man. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. all through that movie, it, they're constantly going, Condor Man, Condor Man, Condor Man, Condor Man. So, it's this, uh, so I was going for uh, spy movies that are trying to have a comic sensibility. That one's completely goofy. Uh, but I really remember loving watching Condor Man. I did not love Condor. watching this. Um, and then This Means War goes over. Okay. Carry on. You loved watching Condor Man, but it's your under. Yeah, but I think this is a better movie than Condor Man. Uh, um, but I remember loving watching it. Yeah. Your over and under should be transposed. I think. I think yeah. you got to mix up. Tom. So I'm going to do something weird uh, because I liked this as a bromance, you know, <laughs> a movie about a relationship between two men. Uh, I'm actually picking the same movie for my over and under, but different parts of those movies, of that of that movie. Uh, as a bromance where the relationship between the two male characters is kind of the point of it, my over for this would be super bad, where it's a bromance between two kids in school. Uh, their relationship is the heart of the movie. Uh, super bad. Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill are just so good together, and they're such a sweet couple. People can identify with that. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's vulgar. It has its own tone. Um, and I, I just like Superbad, that part of Superbad so much. But then there's this other weird, curious bromance um, with uh, it's Seth Rogen and Bill Hader as these cops in Superbad, which I don't know why it's in there. You know, Seth Rogen is the king of bromances, um, but that part didn't work for me. So I'm putting that part underneath Man from Uncle. I'm going to nestle Man from Uncle. I'm going to make a Man from Uncle sandwich. Using super bad as the bread, like the one Henry Cavill was eating in the, in the ah, coffee. very good, Riss. Yep, yep. With a little can. Didn't like it at first. Hmm. Kelly, one. What are your over and unders for Man from Uncle? Uh, I went with '60s TV show movies about spies. Uh, sure. So my over was Mission Impossible. Any of them, except two, and then my under was The Avengers, the one with uh, Ray Fiennes. Oh and God, Fett, yeah. But. Do you actually see that? You're, you're, you're. So isn't that – I haven't seen it, but doesn't Sean Connery try to create a weather machine? Isn't that like yeah. the overall plot? Yeah, it's like that Keanu Reeves movie. It's back when weather was uh, topical. It's a Keanu Instead Reeves movie with a weather machine. Yeah. It's suspenseful. What's, What's going to happen? What's the Keanu Reeves movie with a weather machine? Uh, Extreme Terminus or something. <laughs> just made that up. There's no such thing. Extreme Terminus. <laughs> Water chase. Motorcycles. Oh, no, um, the Cold Fusion movie that you... Yeah, Cold Fusion. Yeah, we, I already we, forgot the name of it We've again. discussed that before. 
Uh, it's called like Ion Charge. What was that called? Shoot, what was the name of that? See, excessive discrimination. No, oh, like Ion Control. Covalent bonding. Yeah, yeah, covalent bonding. It's not called that. Motorcycle aficionado. Dennis, do you remember? Because we talked about the title of it. What was that called? The, the, the Keanu Reeves. Ion Charge. I think it was something about ions. Right? Keep saying that one. Like, that's what you wish it was called. Ion Charge Motorcycle Tonight. It's like Absolute Zero or something like that. Tom kept saying Ion Charge. Like, guys, come on. It's a good title. Ion Charge. Think about it. No, it's called like a... a no, chain, chain Reaction. Oh, shoot. Thing is did you remember it or did you cheat? I, I don't really. I can't really uh, go online while we're doing this because I don't want to mess up the. Panel. Yeah, notice that he's oh, not answering the care. question, Kelly Wand. Yeah, I don't want to go online right. while I'm recording a podcast. So, Kelly Wand, given the subtext of this movie, did it teach you anything about relationships? Uh, none of my uncles found me attractive. One, two, three, only you and me. One, eighty, three, one, come between. One, two, three, la, 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 la. Talk about a tone shift. Jeez, Kelly Wand. What are you talking about? I'm singing. There's no tone shift. Ain't no fucking Delta here. Did any of us see the last Sherlock Holmes movie, by the way? Uh, I took what was in my hand and put it in the face. <laughs> did anyone I did see Lone Ranger? Did you see Lone Ranger? Yeah. Oh, I wait, Kelly, did you see Lone Ranger? Yeah. yeah, I saw it on cable. It's really... It's, Should yeah. we watch that? Like, is it is it unfairly maligned? And does it, well, does it, like, John Carter, does it have things worth watching? Mm, less than John Carter does. Mm. There's a part where uh, they're trapped in a barn, Lone Ranger and Tano. Yeah, and go on. I like this so well, fuck we're screwed or whatever they say right. and then they look up on the roof and and silver is on the roof of the ball oh no you've told me about this and that is that where johnny depp says that horse has problems yeah that horse ain't right or something right. and then right, the horse, and then that's their solution and then they jump the horse off the roof into the guys who instead of shooting them just go Wah! and like scatter <laughs> Yeah, that's in the trailer. It's one of those things where Johnny Depp saying that horse isn't right. They thought was, hey, this is a great line. Let's make sure to get that in the trailer. Yeah. See, there was that for world building. Silver's on the roof somehow. That's how they get out of that mess. Was that Gore Vidal who directed that? No, I think <laughs> yes, you're right. it was. It was Gore Vidal. Yeah. No, it's Gore. What's the name? Oh, Verbinski. Jesus yeah. Christ, I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah. Oh my hey, God. I want to live it's... in Tom's world. <laughs> yeah. Or Vidal directed the. Oh, no, that was William F. Buckley. That horse ate right. Or Vidal. Say it with more feeling. I still like. I don't. I don't have any like. Gore Verbinski's name is weird for me. Like, who? Who's named Gore with the last name beginning with a V? Like, what are the odds of having a Gore Verbinski and a Gore Vidal? Like, just it's yeah. confusing to me. Absolutely. Who's named Gore? Yeah. There's What's your favorite two. Gore Verbinski movie, Tom? Uh, I can only think of The Ring and um, Lone Ranger and Pirates of the Caribbean. Am I missing something, Dingus? Didn't he do The Weatherman? The Weatherman, of course. We love Weatherman, yeah. Right. Kelly Wan, have you seen The Weatherman, Nicolas Cage's movie? I don't see movies uh, about meteorology <laughs> until... <laughs> uh, they're spoilers. Weatherman has so many awesome things in it, Kelly Wan. You should see The Weatherman. It's Weatherman is the lost Gore Verbinski classic. And I only say lost because no one has seen it. Yeah. yeah. Is it the one with Nicolas Cage? And, and Nicolas Cage is so good in it. Not T. Leone, Hope Davis. 
It's got a great Hope Davis performance. It's got uh, Nicholas Holt, a very young Nicholas Holt in his... Uh, oh. like. And who's the dad? Is it Martin Landau? It's, Land- it's not Martin Landau, is it? No, it's Michael oh, Caine. Oh, no, it's Michael Caine. Yeah, it's oh, got a great Lord. Michael Caine performance. Yeah. 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 Exactly, that guy, Kelly Wand. I see you know who it is. Yeah. He oh, likes man. to watch the ghost of Batman. He and there's so much great Michael Caine abusing uh, Nicolas Cage stuff. Yeah. Master Wayne... Kelly one, if you want to watch Michael Caine uh, look down at his nose at ha- what a ridiculous doofus Nicholas Cage is, Weatherman yeah. is the movie for you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Hang on. Let me write that down. But first, let's do a three by three. The topic this week is uh, your favorite teacher or mentor slash student relationships. I didn't want to use the word. I forgot if I screwed this up last week. I didn't want to use the word teacher because I didn't want it to have to be a classroom setting. Um, so this is your favorite mentor slash student relationship um that was uh, you know as broad i think you guys might know why i brought this up uh my now no- well my number one choice I, well we'll, well well you know let's just go by the numbers so dingus you're introducing next week's topic so why don't you start us off with your third favorite example of this sort of thing in a movie i did get a little confused by you using the word student and i kind of all week long wanted to ask you to elaborate, but... I, As you know, you have to do that. I'm not allowed to do that. Right. So I kept wondering about, is, does it have to be a teacher-student relationship, or... Uh, did I use the word mentor? It, like, did I, did I actually say teacher? Because I didn't... I was worried no, that... No, you said mentor-student, okay. but what I was mentor, like... Mentor-mentee. The mentor-mentee, mentor... Um, what's the other word that you would say? Um, a word? That's not really a word, is it? It's not really, no. Yeah, Sir Butterworth. It sounds like... Proved it. Sounds like a, a manatee. You're, you're I'm trying to think of. I don't think it was either. Use, I lost a bet. He was in Seinfeld. There's a my, mentor episode of Seinfeld, and there's the protege, mentor slash protege. Ah, right. right. Um, so I, I kept getting hung up on the student. Well, basis. I did want you to take it as broadly as you felt like. So I hope that was your. That, I hope that was how you approached it, Dingus. Well, well, I definitely eventually did, um, but I did end up with one that is sort of classroom oriented, and Thomas Tom has called me out for this before, and. I think he said something a, a few weeks ago of, I wonder if we could look and do an analysis of the number of uh, three-by-threes that are repeated the next week uh, and who does that the most often. Uh, I don't think this was last week, but I, I did see this movie fairly recently um, for a different one of these. Uh, and this particular relationship really stuck with me for a couple of reasons. And so this is the movie Goodwill Hunting. Um, and the mentor-student relationship is between uh, Professor Gerald Lambeau, who's played by Stellan Skarsgård. What's his last name? Lambeau. Like L-A-M-B-O, like Rambo? No, like Lambeau Field, L-A-M-B-E-A-U. What's Lambeau Field? It's where the Green Bay Packers play. Oh, you and your basketball. All right, whatever. Right. Um, and it's between him, um, <laughs> Professor Gerald Lambeau, and uh, Will Hunting, played by Matt Damon. And so it's uh, the reason that I really like this particular um, mentor-student relationship is how it develops in the course of the movie, in particular in the middle part of the movie, where um, where Stellan Skarsgård's character has figured out that uh, Matt Damon is the, is the guy who's solved these things. He bails him out of jail, and then he starts to 
school him while finding him a therapist that will work for him. And there's this one scene in particular where the two of them are working together at a blackboard in his, in sort of his classroom office. And they're just working together. And, they're, and it, there's this real give and take where, where they're writing things up and they're racing and they're just working together. It's kind of a montage kind of a feel. And they solve this for, which for me would be just an inscrutable pro- problem. And then they sit down together at these two chairs. And, um, and Stone Skarsgård just sort of randomly, not randomly, but purposely, and this is not something that Matt Damon's character is used to, puts his arm around him and just sort of claps him on the shoulder like, like a coach would, uh, a, a football player. Just, you know, and, and what kind of, puts the cherry on top of the scene is that the guy who's his constant, who's Stellan Skarsgård's constant, constant, um, should be his protege is over at the other table, like doing some scut work probably. And he looks back and you get the, the sense from his look, geez, he's never reached out to me like that. He's never, he's never had that kind of camaraderie with me. And they have that natural camaraderie because, of the value between the two of them and the needs between the two of them. Um, and I, I really like the way that relationship is showcased in that one little scene in uh, Good Will Hunting. Kelly Wand, what do you have to top that as your number three favorite student or mentor relationship, uh, teacher or mentor relationship with a student? Uh, in Collision Course with Jay Leno and Pat Morita, they have to overcome their differences, and um, Jay Leno's all, I'm going to bust your ass, and then Pat Morita's all, bust my ass, no good. That's it? All right. Collision course. And then he goes, you know your problem? You need a wife. And then Jay Leno's all, a wife? Hey, I just think we got to live together for a while first. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. So we should see Collision Course? Yeah. So like Kelly Wan, for what, what I did for a couple of mine, uh, my, two of mine are actually movies that I don't think are any good. But I liked these movies because of the mentor-student relationship. I think that bit is actually good and manages to – uh, I really like both of these movies, even though I think they're no good. And the reason I like them is because of that relationship. So my number three, uh, I've talked about on this podcast before. Uh, and I can't, this is one of the things that I love. This, this is one of the things that I kept talking about, but I just really, oh, you know what? Let me give you a quote. Uh, he's very slow. His reflexes, his reflexes are pitiful, poorly coordinated. He's in wretched physical condition, impetuous and clumsy. He moves like a baboon with two club feet. However, there's a feeble glint of promise in his eyes. I think I can do something with him. Kelly Wan, do you, do you recognize that quote? I relate to who they're talking about, exactly. except for the last part. Is it Matrix? No, it, it is Remo Williams, the adventurer, begins. Ah. Uh, so, because I mean, it's, it's a cheesy, trashy 80s action movie. It's... But the way it's shot is just borderline, not incompetent, but it's just such a throwaway piece of uh, action movie making in the 80s. Um, but Fred Ward and Joel Grey are just having so much fun with each other. Um, and they're both great actors who uh, 
I mean, not, neither of them is being dismissive of this movie. And certainly they're both having a lot of fun. Um, Remo Williams is based on this long series of novels. So there, I'm sure there's a lot of subject material they draw from to create all these idiosyncrasies for Joel Gray's character. Uh, and it's kind of ballsy these days, certainly. I guess back then it would have been okay. But the fact that they get Joel Gray to play a little tiny Korean man, complete with the, the makeup, I mean, it would, it would almost look offensive these days. Uh, uh, and he, he does the accent and everything. Uh, but they give him, you know, they make him, uh, like he loves soap operas. Um, and he's, he says things that are outdated and sexist, like about women. Uh, he's, he's totally old school. They become roommates, by the way, also. So there's some of that interplay between them, as well as being uh, master and student. Um, and he talks in all these, like, quotable fortune cookie phrases. Uh, but uh, they're just both so lively in this uh, that I really like, in this crappy 80s action movie, what Joel Gray and Fred Ward are doing with each other. Uh, so there's my third favorite uh, teacher-student relationship. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. You smell like hamburgers. Yep, he makes fun of his diet. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I thought he was a Korean dude when I saw the movie, but I was only 13. Well, you know what? To be fair, Kelly Wan, I think it actually might have been nominated for Academy Award. The, the makeup is actually really That's, good. Um, that can't be true. I think it, Joel Gray was nominated for No, no, makeup. no, no. The, uh, the, the makeup. Yeah, I, but the makeup for him was up for an Oscar? I believe so. I might for, be misremembering. For Yellowface? That was up for an Oscar. It's not just Yellowface. Like they, do, you can really watch Remo Williams and think, oh, they got some old uh, Asian dude uh, to play. Uh, his name is Chun. Should I watch that movie? I- Come on, I was uh, when I was talking about it like several months ago. I was constantly like giving you awesome tidbits. You should totally watch Remo Williams. Yeah, that's what I think. It's like you watched it for me, and now I don't need to see it. Like you've. Told me all the good no, part. you would appreciate it. You would definitely. Plus, you said you binged on it by finishing it, which made well, it that was like kind of a joke because I was like watching little bits of it at a time because I didn't have time to sit and finish it. So every week I was like mentioning stuff I saw, and then one night I finally finished it. So it was kind of. Oh, a joke that I, I took that to mean like it's hard to finish. No, 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 not at all. I mean, come on, it's like a ninety-minute movie. Um, there's so many cheesy things in it. It moves quickly. If there's one thing Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins knows, that's how to get things going. Hmm. Yeah. That's why it's called the yeah, Adventures exactly. Beginning. Yep. We got that part locked. Yep. Uh, All right, Dingus, rescue us from this silliness. What's a great example? Maybe not as good as your number one choice, but what's a really good example of a student-teacher relationship? Maybe you have a quote for us. Uh, I do. Um, I'm totally confused why Kelly already mentioned it. It doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, uh, it's a bit of dialogue. Uh, I can't go back, can I? No, but if you could, would you really want to? Yeah. Well, is that who's the ma- well? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. the, well you know, it, to be fair, I, I don't. I honestly don't understand why, given your quote, Kelly would even guess the Matrix. Yeah, right. Because yeah, he's got two left feet. He not- eats cabbage. He walks backwards, and he <laughs> and he loves gerbils. The Matrix. That's- what the what the fuck, Kelly? Why would you That's what I Matrix? remember happening. Oh, your guess was terrible. Yeah. What? It has nothing to do with that. I so, had a 50-50. So, you know, the difficult thing I had in a couple of these uh, <laughs> when I was looking at them was kind of separating the tutorials thing from the mentor thing. Uh, but there's this wonderful scene um, 
where uh, Morpheus is sitting there next to Neo when Neo wakes up on his bunk after, like, barfing, and he's just gotten into the world after taking his pill and everything. And and there's this scene between the two of them where the mentor is asking him, uh, if you if you could go back, would you? And and then he reveals in this way that teachers sometimes do uh, his sense of doubt in that scene where he says, I have to apologize to you because I have a I have a rule that we have a rule that you will you will never do this to somebody who's past a certain age because the the mind can't go back. I don't oh, know. Yeah. And he, and he has this this whole scene where he's kind of apologizing to Neo. He's he's saying, I I think you're the one, but nevertheless, I apologize for doing this to you this late in life because we have a rule where this isn't supposed to happen. And he's basically telling him, this is going to be really hard on you. And then they go through this whole sequence of him basically being his mentor. It's not just the famous kung fu scene, but it's him leading through him through a bunch of things. And I didn't even remember him as I watched the movie again. This is stupid. That that scene where he walks down the street and sees the woman in the red dress, it's it's Morpheus leading him down the street. And I didn't remember that for some reason. I just remembered the woman in the red dress and that little, you know, runty guy. Like, I created the woman in the red dress. Um, but it's Morpheus who says... Uh, did you were you paying attention or were you just watching the woman in the red dress? So he's leading him and he's he's he was supposed to be, I think, the one, but he's not. He's the leader of the resistance now or whatever they call it. And now he's bringing Neo along. And but that scene where they're in where Morpheus is sitting next to Neo on the bunk bed and sort of confessing to him, I probably shouldn't have done this, but I'm doing it anyway because it's the right thing to do. Um, is the thing that really solidifies this as a mentor-student relationship. Mm-hmm. And there's whole, like, if you think of the Matrix, which is really what it is, and I'm sure the Wachowskis are aware of this, if you think of the Matrix not just as an action movie, but as a story about this religious enlightenment, right? Um, you know, the, the role of Morpheus as the teacher and Neo as a student is obvious. I mean, that's just such a clear, I mean, that's, that's what that relationship is. Uh, right, and then him eventually bringing him to the Oracle, is him saying, I'm, I'm, I'm taking you to the one who will actually tell you whether or not you are the one, you know, the way that... It's a mentor fest. Right. You know, it's a shame they never made sequels to, the, to that movie. It's okay, though. I, I, I think they'll get around to it. <laughs> you know, it's a good you enough self You're breathing? Oh. All right. Uh, all right. So, Gary, what do you have to top that? So, obviously, you have one now that's better than the mentor-student relationship and collision course, but not as good as the one in your number one pick. What is in that sweet spot between those two? Uh, Mystery Man mostly sucks and is lame and boring, but I like the character of the Sphinx, kind of. Because he says shit like, he who questions training only trains himself at asking questions. And Your temper's very quick, but you must learn to master your rage. And then Ben Stiller's like, oh, your rage would become your master. That's what you're going to say. And he's all, no. Huh. You do need to see Rima Williams. If that's the sort of stuff that sticks in your mind, you're, you're really slumming it with Mystery Men when you could be seeing Rima Williams' Kelly Wand. Mystery Men was up for an Oscar for Best Makeup. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> yeah, you know what? So <laughs> I can now say the Oscar-nominated, you know, Academy Award nominee, Rima Williams' The Adventure Begins. That movie was up for an Academy Award. 
Not the case with mystery men. Sorry. It really broke barriers down for Asian Americans. Well, just Americans. Actually, is Joel Gray even American? He might be. You know, he's totally American. Yeah. But Fred Ward's Asian. It's kind of like Man from Uncle. <laughs> no. Rima Williams like is as American as you could get. Yeah. What? It's about, I know he goes on the Statue of Liberty. It's about right. America, by the way. A, you bet. Yeah. Uh, my number two favorite mentor-student <laughs> relationship. Again, I think this movie is terrible, but uh, even more than Remo Williams, I really like this movie. Now, it might have something to do with when I saw it. Um, you know, while I, uh, I uh, well, I just, you know, I'd had health issues and I've been, there, there was a period of time when I was like getting chemotherapy and I was on like this anti-nausea medication and painkillers and like when, when you're really sick, and you experience some entertainment, I think your mental state can have you experience that entertainment in a unique way. So I'm reluctant to go back and watch, now that I'm feeling a little better, Seventh Son, which is <laughs> that Jeff Bridges movie uh, where he's like a wizard who fights dragons. Because I'm not sure <laughs> if how much I enjoyed that movie has to do with – my weird – yeah, exactly, like drugs and this just medical fugue that I was in. Um, Seventh Son, I freely grant, is not very good, but my recollection of Seventh Son is that there's some awesome CG in it. But more importantly, that Jeff Bridges is, as the British would say, taking a piss. Uh, Jeff Bridges has not contempt, but – uh, because it's not like disdain. He's invested and he's energetic. He's not just there for the paycheck, but he is doing something completely weird. Um, you know, he's basically doing uh, his True Grit character. You know, Rooster Cogburn and True Grit. Or there's a little bit R.I.P.D. character. R.I.P.D. Big Lebowski. Um, Same beard. The fact that they got Jeff Bridges to play the Ian McKellen role in Seventh Son, this this wizard whose job it is to find and train uh, the seventh son of the seventh son. Like if somebody has seven sons and then the youngest son, the seventh one, then has seven sons, that person, Jeff Bridges, has to roam the land and find that person and then Ugh. train that person to become part of an elite group that holds back like evil witches from the world. Um, so – in this movie, Jeff Bridges is just totally off his rocker. It's sort of like he just doesn't care. Um, he's having a great time, but he's just this crazy, cranky old man. Um, and it's not the typical uh, relationship. Like, So I've, I've told you guys to see this movie. If you hadn't seen it by now, I'm going to go ahead and ruin something for you because you <laughs> deserve to have it ruined for you because you haven't paid attention to seeing the movie. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, Kit Harington, who's Jon Snow in Game of Thrones – is his trainee. And in the beginning of the movie, Jeff Bridges is such a crappy mentor uh, that he gets Kit Harrington killed while they're trying to contain a witch. Like you think, oh, Kit, at least I did. I thought, oh, Kit Harrington is in this. Uh, and then, you know, 10 minutes later, oops, no, he's not. Um, I love that about Seventh Son. <laughs> so the new guy who comes in, who's just terrible, and Alicia Vikander is his, his love interest. She's also terrible. Uh, you know, there's not much there. But Jeff Bridges is just so completely off his rocker that it sustains the movie entirely. Uh, so one of you guys, or maybe both of you, is going to have to see it and, and just let me know if it's as good as I remember. So the disciple's irrelevant for the topic. Exactly. You know what? The disciple in this case, because he doesn't care about his disciples. Like, he's just this greedy, cantankerous old man. So, for instance, 
he's got a flask of stuff that he drinks. Um, and at one point, he lets Ben Barnes take a sip. He hands him the flask, and he says, here, take a sip of this, but you must never have more than one sip of this a day. And Ben Barnes is like, oh, okay, well, well, why not? And his response, because it's mine. <laughs> so he's just, uh, yeah, he's a crazy That's good. Drunk. Yeah. Uh, and, Wait, what's and, the flask of? It's just booze, you know, like medieval booze. Um, so I watched the trailer for this, by the way, before recorded, because I, you know, I, I was like, I just wanted to sort of jog my memory. The trailer makes it look like a completely in earnest fantasy movie, and it's absolutely not. Uh, you know, they, they make this trailer to make you think, oh, this is this really cool, serious movie, but it's it's not that at all. Like the trailer is, it's like almost in the trailer, they were like, we can't really know how completely off the hook Jeff Bridges is in this movie. We can't let people know that. So we're going to cut a trailer that makes it look like just a serious, regular fantasy movie. Uh, hmm. So it's Men in Black. It's used cars. Mm, it's... No, going with either of those. It's Rima Williams' The Adventure Begins, but with dragons. And with Jeff Bridges instead of Joel Grey. <laughs> huh. So there you go. Dingus, tell us your favorite teacher, mentor, no, teacher slash mentor and student mentee relationship in a movie. All right. So here's a a bit of dialogue from it. Mm -hmm. My name is Eric. No, your name is Clerk. My name is Sir or Boss, if you can manage. I know this. Kelly, do you have a guess? Swimming with sharks? No, Clerk. It's kind of more of a boss. I don't. I don't know how Kevin Spacey is a mentor in that movie. The wrestler. No. I'm going to go ahead just because this is. Here's my impression of Kelly Wand. My impression of Kelly Wand is guessing the Matrix. Very good. Uh, this is from a movie called Breach. Dead um, First of all, I reject the mentor-student relation characterization. That's not. I reject your characterization of the relationship as a mentor-student thing. Is rebuttal. Reject your bluff. I believe that um, the, the the relationship between uh, Eric O'Neill, who's played by Ryan Philippe, uh, and the and Robert Hansen, played by Chris Cooper, becomes a mentor student relationship. Um, it's perverted. It's weird uh, because, of course, uh, uh, Philippe's character is sent in to um, figure out whether or not, or to spy on, or to be uh, the guy who's trying to figure out whether or not. Uh, Hansen is a sexual deviant who has been reassigned, but eventually Hansen kind of um, bullies him under his wing. It's it's a it's um it's more of a I don't know it's it's a bullying relationship, but I think it's definitely a mentor relationship, and I think that they develop a bond because of that, uh, because the sexual deviant thing doesn't seem to be what is actually the problem in the relationship. Or so is Eric O'Neill not investigating him originally for treason? Like that was just something that came out of. I, I think so. I think that okay. the reason that um, that Hansen gets reassigned initially is because of the um, the suggestion of sexual deviancy, okay. and they can't figure out any of that, or they can't suss any of that out. Uh, but eventually, what uh, O'Neill figures out is, oh, there's much more going on. Right. But in becoming his quote unquote clerk, um, he is very much cowed into this weird student. Or mentor um, 
uh, mentee, I don't even know if that's a word. Again, I apologize for using it, relationship. So I'm going to, I might, I might be stretching a little bit, but, uh, but when you first brought this up, breach really sprung to mind. Here's what I think happened. Kelly one, actually, I'm going to tell you. Stingus, don't listen. This isn't for you. Right. Kelly one, here's what I think happened. Stingus was just looking for an excuse to rewatch Breach. <laughs> I can't say yeah. I blame him. Uh, He's a regular Jack Breacher. Uh, sadly, I didn't. I, wa- I rewatched another movie that will be a runner-up, but um, but Breach is the one that I couldn't get out of my head, so it, it supplanted my runner-up. Stingus, tell me three things about yourself, one of which is a lie. <laughs> I will not do that. No, the correct answer was, I'm not very good at lying. And then the response is, that's your lie. Uh, So that, yeah, I really, so I rewatched Shattered Glass for uh, one of our three by threes. And part of, I I like Shattered Glass a lot, but it's no breach. Part of what I'm sitting there thinking the whole time I'm watching Shattered Glass is, I could be watching Breach instead. Uh, Breach is is so good. Is that Billy Ray? Does that have anything to do? Yeah, yeah. Billy Ray, yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, I really, I really, really love Breach. I love that movie so much, and I love the way that the, the weird thing happened, the weird thing that develops as far as the relationships between not only two men, but as they learn about their wives. Who's his wa- Who's uh, Ryan Felipe's wife? Alicia Vikander. Kelly Wand, please. I, would- I I don't remember. It's Caroline something or other, but I don't remember. Uh, but of course, uh, um, oh geez, now I've forgotten who Chris Cooper's wife is. I should know this. The the woman from from Apollo thirteen. Damn it! Oh, Kevin Bacon. Uh, it's not Kurilenko. Jesus. And Laura Linney's Elizabeth it too. Perkins. Yeah, yeah. Laura Linney is his like boss. That's right. right. Yeah. Greta Gerwig. All right, Kelly Wan, what is an example of a stupid teacher relationship in a movie that's actually better than the one in Collision Course and even better than the one in Mystery Men? What do you got for us? Uh, in The New Guy, DJ Qualls needs to get expelled for some reason that I can't remember, so he gets put in prison to learn how to do it with Eddie Griffin. And Eddie Griffin teaches him how to make people do double takes with a tough look and how to get set on fire. And how to make speeches as Braveheart at football games, and how to kick a dude in the junk, and I guess that's it. So my number one pick is actually the reason I picked this topic. Uh, I listen to you guys' podcast on it. I don't think you brought this up. Um, I, I I really I don't understand what y'all's issue is. You didn't tell me how good Whiplash was. Uh, what? I know. You guys just didn't even mention it. We're horrible people. I know. I mean, yeah, okay, fine. You put it on your top ten list, but neither of you really got prepared me for how good it was. Um, so, God, I loved Whiplash so much. And Whiplash is, for me, this absolutely fascinating look at the relationship between a teacher and his student um, in two directions. So part of the, you know, if you look at it, it's a story about a brutal teacher who's really demanding and expects too much from his his students, and how that's a terrible thing. But one of the awesome reveals in Whiplash is why uh, J.K. Simmons' character is doing that. You know, his, his rationale for it is he believes this is what it takes to really create the kind of greatness that he sees in Charlie Parker. And he relates something that happened to Charlie Parker. So for him... He feels this is something that he is doing to benefit the world. That this, that if he doesn't do this, then the next Charlie Parker 
will not be motivated enough to become Charlie Parker. Um, and I just loved that so much. Uh, and then, of course, as a, as a student, um, it's very stressful to Miles Teller's character, uh, but it certainly drives him on to do things he wouldn't otherwise do. But but here's the thing that I wanted to, to bring up, uh, and I don't think you guys mentioned this on, on the podcast. I kind of feel like the movie ultimately wants us to think negatively of J.K. Simmons' approach. Namely, the the implication in Whiplash is that if you push a student this way, if a relationship works this way, then the student will be incapable of being in a relationship, he might get in a car wreck, and he is liable to commit suicide later in life. Like the movie ultimately has a negative judgment on J.K. Simmons' approach. Whereas I came out of Whiplash – uh, completely sympathizing with his approach and yeah. furthermore believing it was entirely merited that J.K. Simmons is in the right um, and that uh, yeah, that I didn't, the movie was kind of throwing up these cautionary flags and being disapproving of that but I kind of felt, I came away from that movie thinking he's totally right, I am on his side yeah, uh, it's a success story because he makes he forges Miles Teller out of all those like everything you just mentioned those none of those are crossing the line like that's just examples of his theory and action right, right. I mean and they're they're yeah like the idea is that the, the bad things can come from this but I I felt like all of those were kind of contrived you know that this right. idea that you have to break up with your girlfriend that you're going to get in a car wreck because you're so reckless and that there's a danger you're going to commit suicide you know these are all three things that, that happen in the movie. Uh, to J.K. Simmons' students. Um, but I, right. just, I just love that idea. And I do feel like... So I don't necessarily know if that's... The, well, uh, like one example of this kind of thing is in athletics. That's certainly probably true. You know, you think of the what, what young Russian gymnasts were subjected to and how they're trained for the Olympics um, and how they're pushed to excel. Dingus is into lots of sports. I'm sure he knows there are examples of this, like with the NFL or whatever. Um, <laughs> and I'm not entirely convinced that in the world of like artistic excellence, that is as necessary. No, it um, is. It so is. That was well, why. That's what I said on the podcast because it's like adversity makes great artists, and if you don't have that, you're not as good an artist. Yeah, so it, it seems like artistically. But I don't. I don't feel. That, I, I think it's one approach. Like I, I do feel it can be an important part of it, but right. I. I yeah, I mean, I'm fine with a teacher doing that, but I'm also fine with recognizing that not all students of entertainment or musician, not all artists, yeah, musicians really taught that way. Because uh, the songs are the same. And are you talking about a composer or a player, like a performer, like a drummer? Like that seems like that's had, you need adversity for that even. Well, and certainly this sense, and I, you guys talked about this, just the athleticism of the drumming in that movie right. did make it feel, in a way, more like a gymnast being pushed. Uh, right. But yeah, so what, uh, I think the movie was trying to be a cautionary tale. I did not I did not come away feeling cautioned at all. I came away thinking, yeah, J.K. Simmons is totally right. And Miles Teller thought that, too. Well, that's kind of the twist at the end, isn't it? Uh, kind of. I hope people saw the movie before they listened to this. Yeah, three by threes, we kind of spoil things. That's... It's yeah. a year old, though. Is, is that a statute of limitations? You're the only one who hadn't seen it. Right, right. I was the last guy to... Right, 
everybody else but me has seen it. But I had the same reaction where I felt like I was the only person who had that reaction. And to me, it was even more special. Like, I got the movie. Yeah, because I think everyone else went out there going, boy, what a dick that J.K. Simmons character is. Well, did you guys talk about that on the podcast? Because I listened to most of it. Like, is that something that... I think I said it, and Dingus was a little taken aback by that, but he was like, oh, it's interesting. So, Dingus, you're not pro-J.K. Simmons' approach for teaching. Oh, I think it's a, I think the tale is more generational than what you're allowing, and I don't know what Kelly is fashioning, but I, I don't recall him saying any of these things, but uh, it's quite possible he did. Uh, I think it's it's a generational a generational teaching about teaching and about the 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 methods of teaching and about the methods of of trying to uh, bring forth excellence and what excellence and what artistic excellence means and what it takes to get there. Um, and it takes a huge amount of sacrifice. And so on that regard, I would say that what you're saying is, is right, Tom. I mean, the, the amount of sacrifice that it takes to become excellent as an artist on that level requires blood. I mean, it literally in this movie requires blood. But I think the movie is also saying things about how genera- generationally, and excuse me for swallowing that word, we view the way that you bring along an expert or uh, somebody who is excellent or we coax forth excellence is different now. I mean, how do you bring forth a Charlie, Charlie Parker now? Right. How do you do that when you cannot berate them in the way right, that right. Um, J.K. Simmons does that? And even if it's okay for him to do that, uh, given that the amount of damage that this movie shows is that okay because teaching now in the new generation is a different type of a thing and can you coax forth uh, excellence in the same regard as you can as you could at that time um, so I think it's more about that and I, uh, I think this is one particular kid who probably destroys life but I don't think I think that he was probably headed down that road anyway based on where his life was going, not based on what his teacher was doing. Well, the movie also makes it clear that his that J.K. Simmons' approaches won't be tolerated, that there's no place in the school system, in the, the educational system, at least as it's uh, portrayed here, that there's no place for him there. Um, Absolutely. He, yeah. Um, but the, the, the question that the movie doesn't address is, do other methods work? And that's not the that's not the purview of this movie. So I don't know that I necessarily agree that J.K. Simmons becomes the protagonist. I, I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying. Well, I'm just saying that I think he's right. That his his uh, whereas the movie is kind of trying to be cautionary about his approach. I kind of feel like I saw this movie and felt that his approach was completely vindicated for, for well, me. I would disagree because I don't think throwing chairs at kids' heads is going to really motivate them more than if you can find a way to be a more creative teacher would do so. Okay. So, Kerry Wine, it's you and me uh, against Dingus on this approach for, uh, yeah. Yes. Dingus, I have one thing to say to you. Not my tempo. Yeah. I'm dragging. I just don't understand why you guys didn't tell me this movie was so good, and specifically that J.K. Simmons was so good. I don't know why you would try to keep that from me. Well, mainly I was was concerned with you not seeing Edge of Tomorrow again. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) I've seen that one too many times. You know what? I, I only... So, here's the deal. Edge of Tomorrow is fine. But because Dingus likes it so much, I feel like I have to sort of be a counterbalance. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, let's see what the listeners have for us for mentor-mentee relationships. Paul, Ooh. Paul, we, yeah, I know that didn't that that meme didn't take off, Kelly Wan. You missed the boat. Sorry, haha. <laughs> it's hard to do. Uh, missed the boat. 
Paul Weimer writes, I was taught by the very best to submit three choices to this week's 3 by 3 In Kingsman, The Secret Service, I really like the relationship that develops between Colin Firth and Taron Egerton. Oh, as the good. former helps mold, mold his protege to succeed him as a secret agent. It's a good one. Uh, you know what? I say it's a good one, but I think I just really like Colin Firth. Yep. And also, yeah, I was the, surprised the by that guy. I, I can't remember where else we saw that guy, but I liked him a lot. I don't think we did. Firth? I don't think we did see him, did we, Dingus? Did we realize that we knew Taron Egerton from something? Maybe not, but I, I liked him, and I, I was surprised by him. He played Robin in Dark Knight Rises. What? Kelly Wand, you don't know. Kelly Wand, you know nothing. Uh, Paul Weimer's number two, veteran cop Malone, played by Sean Connery, convincingly takes Elliot Ness, played by Kevin Costner, under his wing to take down Capone in The Untouchables. Dingus, I bet this was on your runners-up. It's not, but I really like it. Uh, there's, there's this, you know, this is actually a good one. I didn't even think about this because when they're about to, you know, when they're about to break in to, he's like, I forget the line. It's like, you know, you just have to know when to cross the palm. And, and I really like that. I, I kind of like this one. He, Are they really mentor student though? Like, does that, does well, that... well, in dealing with the actual policing of Chicago, yeah. Because he brings him in, and he's like, it, "It's, it, oh man, I, I actually really like this one." He, right. he teaches Elianess, "Yeah, you have to know when to cross the line." He teaches him that, and that that whole thing at the Canadian border too. He teaches him when do you have to cross the line and when do you have to toe the line. I like that. Good job. Well, in that case, what do you think of Mickey training Rocky for the fight of his life against Apollo Creed in the original Rocky? Well, I I don't know. I don't think trainer. I don't know. That was my original, uh, as a 3 by 3 cop, that was my first instinct, is to say, well, as trainer, but I guess if we're going to bring up J.K. Simmons, can't we also, I don't know. Well, I, I kind of toyed with, and this is what's weird, and I'll reveal it now, that Kelly Wan brought up Collision Course for some bizarre reason. He's got this weird prescience, because Karate Kid was on my list at first. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, that is, oh. Yeah, because, of course, Mr. Miyagi's kind of the model for... Certainly for like Chun and and Rima Williams, um, and even for I think the 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 Joe Neo Bill. and I think that relationship too. That yeah, we're gonna that have to I, Yeah, I don't know why I would object to that. So okay, C. All right, Kelly, collision course. Us. C. Collision course. Arthur Giovanginelli writes Edge of Tomorrow. What? Mm. Yep. Uh, yep, 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 Emily Blunt yep. must teach Tom, teach Tom Cruise how to fight the mimics so he can use the strange power he acquired from one of them. While her methods she did without training. While her methods are sometimes harsh, she must re-meet Cage each time he is reset, and the two still form a strong bond. Huh, whatevs. Uh, Arthur's number two pick. Hmm, I don't know about this one. Uh, Unforgiven. Bill Money mentors, in a manner of speaking, the Schofield kid. The kid thinks being a gunslinger is easy, but many ev- Money eventually shows him it's a hell of a thing, uh, and, we got, and we all got it coming. And I don't know that the old gunslinger reluctantly dealing with the rookie kid on his team. Arthur, I might have to cite you. As a 3 by 3 cop, I might have to uh, give you a citation for that one. Are you Tom's okay a mentor. Yeah. Three by three choices. Are you guys okay with that though? Like, uh, like uh, the Schofield kid and Bill Money. Like, do you feel that? Is there much mentoring going on there? Uh, 
I'm afraid not. I think he's just sort of darkly. I don't think it's mentor. Right. Yeah, because he's sort of like a yeah. It's certainly like the wise guy and the inexperienced guy, but it's it's like Bill Money just tolerates him and he doesn't really seem to take him under his wing or anything. He's kind of I a dis- he's more of a disabuser than a mentor. Right, right. Yeah, kid, I'm going to show you what it's really like. Yeah, enabler. Gene Hackman was the mentor for the reporter kid guy. What? Oh, oh, right. you're talking about Unforgiven still? I forgot. Yeah. yeah. We're still talking about it. Uh, I wonder, yeah, I just, wait. so wait, you're saying Gene Hackman, yeah, yeah, whatever, Kelly want. Okay, what do you guys think of Arthur's number one pick, The Prestige? Robert Anger and Cutter, it's Hugh Jackman and Michael Caine respectively, are my favorite example of this type of relationship. It begins with Anger working as an audience plant for a show Cutter has designed, and it ends in a very different place. Their final scenes together are so good, I'm not even going to try to describe them. Master Wayne. I prefer uh, Alfred as a mentor. Teaches him how to butler. Yeah, butler is not a mentor. What? They wear the suit. That's a mentor suit. And they got to carry trays. It's complicated. I don't know. Shaheen Ali's number three pick, Blade 2. The anonymous anti-hero Blade has his own mentor named Whistler, played by the grizzled Chris Christopherson. I like this. Uh, during the course of the movie, Blade becomes a mentor to two younger vampire hunters, played by Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel. What? Man, I don't That's the third that. one. He fucked it up. Wow. Trinity, Tr- Blade Trinity. Shaheen, I'm sorry that Kelly Wong called you out like that. Yeah. <sighs> All right, which Blade? What's the Ryan who? Reynolds and Jessica Biel are in Blade Three. Yeah. Man, he's one of his jokes is I drink a lot of caffeine today after he says something dumb. Ryan, one of Ryan Reynolds jokes. Yeah, he's the comedy relief. Okay, he's the Dane Cook of the group. He's laying some groundwork for playing Deadpool. Laying some. Shaheen <laughs> uh, Ali's number two pick is Karate Kid. He writes, "Wax on, wax off." Enough said. <laughs> I'm your goddamn slaves. What I am. Remember Shaheen Ali's number one pick. Oh, good lord! Star Wars. Ew. I prefer Obi-Wan over the later movies Yoda. The pupil is Luke Skywalker. Uh, and then Shaheen Wright says his runners-up, uh, Palpatine and Anakin in Star Wars <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. What? Remember? Remember that was a movie? Don't. What about Han Solo teaching Luke, fuck the Force? That was mentoring. Mm, what about that space worm almost eating the Millennium Falcon? Is that mentoring, Kelly Wand? Yeah. Don't park in me. I'm going to mentor you. Park somewhere safe. All right, all right. Shaheen Ali's uh, another runner-up, uh, Turkish and Tommy in Snatch. Turkish, played by Jason Statham, is always looking out for his partner slash pupil. Nice try, Shaheen, uh, played by Stephen Graham. Luke didn't park well either. Chris Hornbossel, uh says, number three, Bull Durham. The movie has lots of parts that feel as if they were pulled from real-life stories. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, it's a mentor off. I love the way Crash Davis brings along the young phenom pitcher, Luke Nuke Lalouche. What? Uh, Especially a scene where Crash, played by Kevin Costner, tells an opposing hitter exactly what pitch was coming to make a point to his own pitcher. Their whole relationship, which starts out reluctant, feels very real and dynamic and transformative to both student and teacher. That's a Sarandon's great. mentoring him. That's yeah. a really great one. Why does he keep calling me meat? That's a great one. 
Sports. Uh, here you go, Kelly Wong. This one sounds like it's for you. Master and Commander. It almost feels at times like a tacked-on bit to the film, but I love the scenes between Paul Bettany's doctor character, oh, and the kid who loses an arm earlier in the film. There's something about Bettany's enthusiasm for learning here that just feels infectious and natural and fun. Even if it maybe doesn't fit the rest of the film so well, I'm glad those scenes with the two of them on the Galapagos Islands are there. Kelly Wan, is that from the book? No, the movie's not from any of the books. They kind of mangled it. you got to just do all the books the way they are, exactly, without any changes. There's no little armless kid who gets mentored by the doctor? Mm, no, there's an armless kid. There's a bunch of dead kids. A lot of kids get whacked in them. They go through a lot of kids. Wow. Uh, they're like drummers in Spinal Tap. Kids on the uh, Surprise. That's the name of Jack Aubrey's ship, Tom. It's his Millennium Falcon. It's the HMS Surprise, because it always surprises <laughs> Loves that it shit. did the Kessel Run in under 20,000 leagues. Under 20,000. <laughs> Jack gets uh, upset if you say it's old. If Steve says it's old, Jack gets all, fuck you, man. Shit fucking rules. Stop talking shit about her. Okay, I get the theory in your paraphrasing. But... <laughs> no, it's Jack Aubrey. He's one of my favorite t- teacher-mentor relationship. Uh, I don't know. Let's see where he goes with this. Uh in margin call, most of the student mentor relationships I thought of, oh, most of the student mentor relationships I thought of were these happy experiences where the student learns positive lessons in a trade or education. In margin call, it's hard life lessons being taught. I'm talking about the scene where Seth turns to Paul Bettany, mm. Seth, uh, his team leader and motivator, and asks if he's getting fired. No, Bettany, says Bettany. Then, well, yeah, yeah, you're almost definitely getting fired. He then tells him that it'll suck, too, at least for a while. A few minutes later, we see the kid sobbing in the bathroom. He wipes away tears and confronts an even higher boss and mentor than Paul Bettany. And Simon Baker says, you're going to fire me. Baker shaving just says, hmm, and keeps on shaving. I love the disinterest there. That would be uninterest. Uh, Mentor to student, your cannon fodder lesson taught. Yeah, Chris, that's a boss-underling relationship. How are they mentors? Yeah. I don't get the mentor. I thought Kevin Spacey's a mentor for... Um, for his dog. Yeah, for his dog. Oh, oh sorry. Too soon. Bingus, are you going to accept Chris Hornbostel's uh, characterization of that relationship as a mentor-student? I, I don't know. I, I was My mind immediately went to the, the bridge talk. Um, so, I don't know. So, Chris, we're giving you Bull Durham. We're not sure about... Uh, Master Commander, because it's not from the books, apparently, Kelly Wan doesn't like. And we're a little uncertain about Margin Call. Again, you know what? I suspect what's going on here. I think Chris Hornbostel just wanted an excuse to rewatch Margin Call. Margin Call is a margin call on the topic. Bull Durham is an awesome choice, though. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great, because he even co- coaches him on how to deal with the media. This is what you say. This is what you don't say. Do it. And, 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 and he's one, at the, the end of his career, and he's helping this guy get to the show. I mean, it's great. That's a great choice. How would you feel about this characterization of Bull Durham Dingus? That it's a good movie to watch, even if you don't like baseball. Uh, well, it's no Moneyball. <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to watch Moneyball, and then you guys oh, Moneyball. Are probably going to get in trouble for not telling me how good it was. Probably mm-hmm. the whiplash of right, for best makeup. Yeah, Brad Pitt. Cool. Uh, runners up. What do you guys got? In Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise, Booger 
goes and sees an Asian dude, and the guy burps for a long time, and then Booger gets on his knees and goes, Master! So that was kind of good. That's what we get for asking Kelly Wan for runners-up. Well done, Tom. Well done. So, uh, there's a a terrible, terrible movie that that just came out on uh, Video On Demand. Uh, It's a horror movie by a first-time director who's actually a photographer, and you can tell by the way he lights the movie. Like some of the scenes are lit with just like one big old bright spotlight, basically. And there's all these like outdoor scenes. Uh, this drives me crazy in horror movies. When someone wants to do like an outdoor scene in the woods and they don't know how to light it to look convincing. So they're just like, ah, screw it. We're just going to stick a bright light up in the trees. And yeah. you can even see like the shot. There's like a huge bright spotlight like behind the trees. Um, it just makes no sense. And I think this guy, because he was a photographer, was just like, ah, screw it, I'm going to do whatever. And it looks terrible. Um, the movie itself is terrible. But so there's a movie called Final Girl, uh, <laughs> where there is a mentor-student relationship between uh, Wes Bentley and Abigail Breslin. Whoa. Now, uh, Abigail Breslin we know from, you know, she's a little girl in Little Miss Sunshine. She's been doing some various, I guess, genre movies. She's becoming like a scream queen. Um so she plays uh, – the movie opens with her as a little girl whose parents have been killed, and she's being interviewed in what looks like a police interview room or something by Wes Bentley. Uh, now, you guys know who Wes Bentley is, right? Yeah, he's uh, American Beauty guy. Right, so the American Beauty guy. He got killed American. by the tidal wave in Interstellar. The Claim. Um, the Claim. He's great in. That's partly why I like him so much. Um, but he's really weird. Like he's got this weird uh, – He's, he's done his share of crappy movies, too. Uh, but I have for, for Wes Bentley, because of the claim... Also, he's, he's from where I'm from. He's from Arkansas. He's an Arkansas kid. You know, I've got this sort of home team pride in the fella coming from Arkansas and having a successful career. Um, but he doesn't really, like, fit... Like, he, he's got just this odd quality to him. So he's recruiting this little girl whose parents have been killed, and he's asking her... Like, hey, can you can you come work for me? And she's just a little girl, and she doesn't really know what he wants. So she's like, okay. So we fast forward to years later, where she's grown up into Abigail Breslin, and he is training her to be like a killer, like to fight and stuff. Uh, and he like chokes her out, and then he has her choke him out, and they're doing all this like weird, just odd fight training stuff. And she's his protege, and it turns out that he is training her to kill. A group of dudes who are serial killers who had previously killed his wife. So for revenge, he's going to recruit a little orphan girl to become a super killer, and then he's going to have her be bait. So this these group of dude serial killers who chase women around in the woods and then murder them will then try to murder her, but she'll be super trained, and she'll murder them back and get revenge. Uh, and it's a really terrible movie, but – the whole like mentor mentee relationship they try to create was with with Wes Bentley and Abigail Breslin. Uh, there's this kind of fascinating train wreck quality to it. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's one of my runners up. I don't recommend the movie, but seeing Abigail Breslin, who by the way, oh the poor girl. I mean, bless her heart. She's terrible in the fight scenes. Like they're trying to make her look like this, you know, like like the, the little girl in Kickass. They're trying to make her look like this this super trained killer. And they cut around the fight scenes to try to hide it, but it, she, uh, it, it's about like the little bumblebee dance in Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like the whole point of Miss Su- Little Miss Sunshine was she couldn't dance, right? 
That's right. what made it kind of kind of cute. Yeah. So the idea that she could fight. Not only does she like have to fight, but she has to be like super hot and seductive and what? sexy, which uh, this cast. Know, I I I like her a lot, but that's definitely not part of the package really that comes with Abigail Breslin. Um, Wait, that really uh, makes me think of the professional. Oh wait, well, that too. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, she's she's older than that, but exactly that kind of thing. I mean, not Hannah. It's probably good to pick Hannah. Hannah, right, right, exactly. Like Hannah as well. Yeah. It's weird. It's like they keep casting Cody Smith McPhee as troubled oh. uh, wallflowers, and then Abigail Breslin as man eating fixins. What else did I see her in recently? Uh, Veronica Cartwright, Mr. Robot, oh, the call. <laughs> The call? The call's a ways back. Oh, She's the kidnapped victim that gets thrown in the trunk. Um, yeah, Allie Bear. Uh, what else? Yeah, but anyway, poor. She's in a, a, a Fox show from the American Horror Story guys called the Scream Queen this, mm-hmm. this fall, too. But All right, are there runners-up for mentor-student relationships? Uh, so uh, I tried to avoid this kind of thing, but uh, it did sort of spring to mind the, the weird mentor student relationship between Jeff Daniels and Anna Paquin in Squid and Oil. I guess that, yeah, it's an example of a really skin-crawling one. Yeah, yeah. it is kind of, yeah. So I, I didn't really want to go with that, but it, it did spring to mind. Um, this one is not skin-crawling. This is just fine, but it's more of a tutor kind of a thing than a... It is a mentor uh protege relationship but it is the relationship between um uh seaman beaumont and seaman jones in the hunt for red october because seaman jones is teaching seaman beaumont how to uh figure out what when a crazy ivan is going on and he's teaching them all the different things about what the baffles are doing and um, trombone really the thing is you know Seaman Beaumont is really just a stand-in for us as the ignorant audience, and Seaman Jones uh, is just telling us, giving us information about what is going on in the movie. So it's not much of a of a uh, mentor-protege relationship. All right, so uh, Dingus, here's your ticket. Uh, call this number, and they'll set up a court date for you. Uh, or you can come in and pay the fine, and here's uh, your license back, and you have a safe day, sir. Thank you. Uh, you made me think, though, with the one before you brought up Seaman Beaumont, of uh, Toby Maguire and Michael Douglas in Wonder Boys. Oh, yeah. Uh, Very good. He is quite literally the teacher and student. Uh, yeah, I, I like how their That's relationship the kind of uh, – like he's he's so uninterested in being a teacher that Toby Maguire is just this guy he's kind of like hanging out with. Uh, and I, I like how that unfolds. It's a pretty broad net. It's like teachers – Right, yeah. Coaches, sergeants, sonar operators, seamen. All right, Dingus, what do you have for us next week for the 3x3? Right, we think that one was a broad net. Right, so at the beginning of The Matrix, um, in the opening (laughs) sequence, uh, Trinity is running away from the agents across the roofs of buildings, and she looks back, and all the camera shows... Um, one of the things the camera shows is this is the shadow of one of the agents as he is going after her. But the camera focuses on the approaching shadow. Uh, and since that time, you know, I saw this movie 
this week and I'd seen it a couple of weeks before when I first came down with this topic. I've seen a couple other movies where I really was noticing shadows in movies. So uh, this is just your favorite shadows in movies. Wow, we haven't done that. Okay, nice. Gary, one, did you like how he characterized it as coming down with the topic? Like it was something he caught, like a cold. <laughs> yeah. Well, also like a shadow. He was trying to do, I think, a, an evocative metaphor. Okay, I want to ask him if we can do shadows as superheroes, like played by Billy Zane. Can we do uh, – that's all called one. Billy Zane's the Phantom. Oh, jeez, you're right. Oh, my God. Man, I suck at this stuff. Trolling Dingus on that would have been a disaster in your instance. <laughs> wow. Uh, all right, so uh, Dingus, how can listeners participate? All right. What you guys need to do is just write into 3 by 3 at quarter3.com, and that's 3x3 at Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-T-O-T-H-R-E-E. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hold on. Slow down. Let me write this down. Let me go. So it's uh, 3x3 at quarter3.com. And just send in your picks. And if, if you have three, send all three in. If you have one, if you have two, that's cool, too. We, we like however many you send in. We just love getting your submissions. This is a good one. This is a four. There's a lot of yeah. options there. I'm already thinking of things, so good. All right, so we'll do this next week. I'm so excited, too. I don't normally get to do this, but uh, I've seen the movie we're doing next week, and I am very excited to get to share it with you two on the podcast, and especially the listeners as well. Uh, This is a movie that just came out on Video On Demand this week. Um, It's a second-time director. It's only the dude's second movie. Uh, And it's a movie called Cop Car with Kevin Bacon. Uh, (laughs) We will be seeing that and discussing it on next week's podcast. So check it out on Video On Demand. Send in your picks for your favorite shadows, and we'll be back next week to discuss that. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by uh, Christian It's Christian Murawski. That's exactly the way I said it. And we had Kelly Wand. La, 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 la. Wait, so that's the sound. Is it called the William Tell Overture? Because that's what he would shoot an arrow into an apple. This thing, so. The William Tell Overture is actually, I know this because it's a Rossini opera, is about the, uh, like, a Swiss uprising. And this is like when an army is, it's the overture before the opera, but I think when it's used in the opera, it's this battle scene where the, the Swiss army It's weird army you make fun of Dingus state. for knowing naval stuff, but you know opera, which to me is even... I agree that it is weird. Wait a minute. Why does Dingus? We make fun of Dingus for knowing. No, I don't make fun of Dingus for knowing naval stuff. I make fun of him for having this huge soft spot for this goofy Tom Clancy adaptation. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that true. Sense, right, Kelly Wand? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Dingus is dumb. That would be like you, Kelly Wand, like, like really loving to read. Uh, uh, the, Tom Clancy. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. He sucks, Tom yeah, but, Clancy. But the funny thing is, the thing is, you're not like a Tom Clancy fan, are you? It's just like you love that movie. That one movie. Yeah, I just have a soft spot for that movie. Yeah, but he likes all. Like he likes the Philip Noyce ones. Noyce. He thinks they're Noyce. Noyce. I yeah, like. Noyce. I just like Patriot Games and the John McTiernan Red October. John McTiernan Die Hard. You don't Hello. like Clear and Present Danger? No. 
So, Kelly Wan, when we saw uh, Man from Uncle, there's a scene where Jared Harris. By the way, I love that you confused uh, uh, Hugh Grant and Jared Harris. <laughs> that was awesome in the synopsis. Who are you talking to? <laughs> you. Uh, oh, there's, there's a scene where Jared Harris uh, is, leads uh, Henry Cavill into the restroom, and he says uh, something along the lines of, it's a little double entendre, uh, and he, he sidles up to the uh, urinal to take a leak, and he says something to Henry Cavill along the lines of, uh, uh, sorry about this, son, but what I'm about to feed you is going to taste awfully bitter. Uh, Dingus, uh. like, out loud in the theater goes, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Why would that be bitter? Huh. <laughs> well, he thought it was Hugh Grant. By the way, I've totally vindicated in thinking Ed Helms was in this because Ed Helms looks a lot like Hugh Grant. He's in a different car chase movie. Wait, wait I thought you were going to say Jared. Ed Helms looks like Hugh Grant? Yes. What? Well, I don't uh... watch trailers, so I blinked my eyes and closed them, and I asked you guys if Ed Helms was in this. You guys I don't want to know if it's Ed Helms or Hugh Grant till I'm watching it. But you're standing by that. Did Ed Helms and Hugh Grant look alike? Yeah, go ahead. First of all, you've made Ed Helms' day, I'm sure. He will be delighted to hear that. Yeah. Um, all right. Meeting man, Ed Helms. La la. Dingus, I see myself as the vicander in this relationship. Good night, little chop shop girl. Oh, see? That's me. Why can't you talk me like that too, too, Tom? <laughs>